right, week two of Softball Media Days has begun. It is day three here on this Tuesday, December 6th, as we are releasing it. I don't know when you're listening. You can listen whenever you want. That's the beauty of a podcast. I'm talking too much. This is the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. Yes. Tom, you don't have to explain to people listening to a podcast what a podcast is. They're already listening, but thank you. We're off to such a hot start. If that enticed you at all, make sure that you like subscribe follow maybe skip the review yeah. maybe at this point but that's okay <laughs> but you know what we're going to be doing some reviewing because we've got four more teams to talk about Ole Miss Florida Mississippi State and LSU here on softball media days and Tom these are four teams as we talked about the end of day two where you know do we really know what they're going to be not quite I'm fairly confident Florida's going to be good the other three teams you know I, I see certain things aligning but I do think that these interviews with all four of these head coaches provided some clarity about what to expect this year. I I agree. And I I think we got probably the best Jamie Traxel that we've ever gotten. Absolutely. Uh, Great, great discussion and great conversation with her and always fun to talk, talk with Tim Walton. He he gives you, he gives us so much. Uh, So really looking forward to hearing those two. Uh, I wasn't there for the Sam Ricketts interview, so that, that'll be a lot of fun for me to hear. And we heard from Beth Trina as well. Um, these are four teams that, you know, Mississippi State's coming off of the biggest upset in NCAA postseason history. Yeah. Uh, how are they going to be able to build off of that? Florida making the run to the World Series last year in, in somewhat surprising fashion based on what they had done during the regular season. But then you have a couple of other teams that, you know, maybe not have finished off the way they wanted it to. Yeah, you've got Ole Miss, who has been in that 8-9 game perennially the last few years in the SEC. And then you've got an LSU team that was one and done in the SEC tournament and 0-2 in the NCAA tournament. And we will discuss that more. But I, I think that this is a quartet that has the old ceiling high floor, other than maybe Florida, could be on the lower side. Right. And we'll break it all down. Of course, uh, we're, you know, we were starting with Jamie Traxel and we'll dive into that a little bit later, but again, I feel like I learned a lot from these four interviews, which is why I felt like it was a good pairing. This, this is why we do it. That's, yes. that's why uh, we want to bring it to you. And as, as I said, in, in our first episode, we know there may be some people that only tune in to listen to their coach and their, their interview and, Hopefully they learn something as well, too. Yeah, that's the plan. That's why we do it, Tom. Yes. That's like you said, this is it. This is our mission. Not for the big bucks. No. Because I have not seen any of those. Nope. Nope. If you want to sponsor <laughs> us, yeah, out of the box underscore. Box. Always available for NIL money. We don't care. We will read whatever you send us. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Restaurants. Give it to us. We have a segment of the podcast where we literally review food. I think we're too thirsty now for, for sponsorships. We need to just go to Jamie Traxel. <laughs> this is off the rails. Day three kicks off in Oxford with Jamie Traxel, the head coach. That's right now as we get rolling here on day three of Softball Media Days. chat with the Ole Miss head coach Jamie Traxel, Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here talking with coach Traxel and coach always good to see you look like you've got a beautiful day behind you in Oxford. 
Yeah, it is. Um, we've had a great, we've had actually a great weather this entire fall and uh, it's perfect weather to start our, our game one of our Rebel World Series as we end our team practice here this at the end of this week. Coach, you mentioned that you're at home because of one of your dogs. I'm not sure if you have multiple dogs or just the one puppy, <laughs> but but the news to hit social media is the new unofficial mascot of Ole Miss softball. I don't know if she's a mascot, but she's definitely a team dog. Yeah, Finley, she's a little under the weather, and I'm uh, acting as a single parent this week. So I'm almost never at home, to be honest, in the morning, like never. And uh, But I'm fulfilling some, some mom responsibilities this morning before heading out to practice. But she's been great. Um, she's been great for our family. But part of the reason we did get her was to be part of our team dog. And so she's in the office. She's at practice. And uh, she makes everybody smile. And that was kind of the, the whole point of, of getting her and having her acclimated and around our team. And she's done a great job. So it's hard to, to not be smiling and, and be happy around her for sure. Are Finley and Juice Kiffin friends? <laughs> not yet, but they're busy in season. So uh, I think we've heard, we've asked, been asked that a lot. And, and we do have a plan to try to get them connected. But obviously football is doing their thing and having a great season right now. So we don't want to disrupt their routines by any means. But at some point, and we'll get them together well if that can happen the weekend Alabama comes to Ole Miss that would be great we would love to see that <laughs> uh coach let's talk about it's hard good coach let's talk about your team last year uh lost in the Los Angeles regional but a very successful season 41 to 19 overall what are your main takeaways from the campaign last year yeah, um, that we got better down the stretch, you know, from from our first year here. And, you know, Miss has had some some really good performances in postseason, you know, in a program. And in the last five, six years, it's had some really strong performances getting to super regionals in 2017 and 19. And our first had a really good season, SEC conference series. And then we didn't finish as strong kind of coming down the stretch as we thought with maybe our last series against Alabama and going into postseason. And regardless of the outcomes, you know, for us, we just weren't as, you know, as excited and, and didn't think we played as well as we could have, regardless of the outcome. And so last year, I think we, uh, we had a really good last month of our season. We really did, you know, going to South Carolina and sweeping them, you know, uh, winning the series at home against Tennessee, going to Georgia, winning the series you know, knocking them off in first round of conference play and then giving Arkansas one of their best games, if not their best game in a 3-0 loss to them at conference tournament as well. So we were really, I thought that was really good strides and some big progress for us. And, you know, went out and faced a tough UCLA team, tough region. Um, but again, I think just kind of for our standards and what we know we're capable of doing, you know, you have to play your best when it matters the most to continue to advance your season. But we've made really good strides and well, and we're looking to take one more step forward this year and really maybe push past that regional championship game. And when you're talking about what's going on in the SEC, um, you talked about the strides you have made already, uh, but the results the last two years have been 12 and 12, eight seed in the SEC tournament. What do you need to see happen for that next step to be taken here in 2023? More consistent play in every area. You know, we've had some really strong weekends and, and sometimes when it, when we either haven't played as well or we got beat, you know, it's just sometimes one or two things, but consistent we can be until what level we can be consistent at. Um, obviously that's going to dictate a lot of the, some of those wins and losses. And so when we look back, just like every team, you know, you can look back and go, Oh my gosh, we had this game, this game, this game, you know, there's a handful of games that 
or maybe want probably even just one play or, or maybe even a one decision, you know, that could have changed the outcome of it. And that is our sport, of course. But, um, you know, I think we've been right there and we feel like we've lost some opportunities, even maybe more than a team has won it. And that's part of the, the mental strides that we've been able to make. I think last year, when compared to year one is, you know, just kind of that men mental, physical, emotional toughness and, and being able to handle some of those moments, maybe a little bit better, keeping it a game of execution. And so I look forward to our continued progress um, and really excited about the depth of our team in every single area this year. Well, coach, before we dive into the players that you do have, I want to talk about some of the players that you're losing who were such a big part of your program the first two years that you were there. And really last year, Bree Roper was, was such a catalyst for your offense. And she stuck around as a graduate manager. Abby Latham has graduated. Sydney Gutierrez has graduated. What did that trio mean for you as you tried to really put your stamp down on the Ole Miss program? Um, I just, you know, I think they had great leadership, you know, and they came to work every day and, um, you know, Sydney, even just as a first baseman, I think she had one air, just two airs her entire career. She was a lockdown first baseman, which can be underrated. Uh, she did a great job for us. Um, just came up clutching big moments, big hits and big moments. I feel like she was a big a, a game player for sure. The tougher the competition, the probably the better performance we got from her. Just gritty and tough. I think Abby is the same way, obviously RBI leader, but they just had a toughness kind of about them that, I think like served our team really well, even like the history of the success of Ole Miss was just some toughness, like some grittiness, some toughness, some like little snarl and killer instinct to them. Um, and so we're, we graduated some of that personality and you can't recreate, you know, what you maybe have lost and you just find different ways to continue to build the depth and the strength of your offense, not necessarily just by replacing one or two or group people um and it breathes bad I think just there wasn't a time she stepped in the box that people didn't think she was going to get a hit <clears throat> regardless of who we were facing and then just everything her and her family went through was really kind of an emotional plug and really I think was an identity of our program and team just seeing how it created more empathy and understanding for your teammates and and a protectiveness about them and, and an unselfishness really and so um, I think that was one of our, our big key points last year of, of who we were and, and what we were fighting for and how willing we were to protect one another and the things that we were going through. So uh, they're certainly going to be missed, but like everything, you know, uh, you have to continue to move on and adapt and, and make what you have with who you have good enough each year. But, um, you know, we miss all the, the seniors that graduate here and, and certainly lost, you know, some great leadership and some toughness and, and certainly some execution on the offensive side. But you know, we're excited about the team that we have this year and you have to find different ways to win. I think we'll be able to do that. Looking at your team for 2023, uh, you do return your the player with the highest batting average. You led your team, Tate Whitley. Um, yeah. And she, she has just improved every year that she's she's played there in Oxford. Uh, what do you look for her in 2023? You know, not to try to recreate last year. You know, uh, we're trying to alleviate some of that pressure that maybe, you know, she could feel or maybe want to impose on herself. But you can't recreate anything and some, you just got to let the past be the past. And, and our team dynamic looks so different too, but both sides of the and off the a team leader for this program. She's a great teammate, great team leader to do what she can do without trying to recreate, you know, the incredible season she had last year and, um, and find value in all the little things that she does because it is a different lineup as well. Um, with so some of the different roles and responsibilities and how they separate, I think, can be a big part of her just moving forward and keeping this year just, just
just its own identity and not trying to carry over, you know, what she did in the past, which was have a, a tremendous season. Coach, Tom and I had the pleasure of getting to know Naomi Jones this summer at the FGCL, <laughs> yeah. part of the circus. What a just hilarious person, a very fun personality. And also just a, a nice little Swiss Army knife for you offensively. Mm-hmm. She's quick. She can do a lot of things in the box. And as she steps into this year, what do you feel like this summer did to help her? And what could her role be this season for your team? Oh, you're right. Naomi is a great personality. She's easy, really easy to root for. I think she's, I don't know that there's a person on her team who wouldn't, you know, say that. And and she isn't one of the favorites. Easy to be around. Great standard. Has actually some really good leadership roles in terms of how she can kind of manage some of those maybe higher that come with competing. Um, But she just has a lot of versatility. Like you said, she's a great outfielder. She's a great outfielder. Um, we train hard in our outfield that last year, the band of brothers, um, but it's a no fly zone out there. She can cover some, some ground offensively. She's really tried to work hard. I think her experience playing the summer gave her a lot of different at bats and situational play uh, to be able to work on her craft, bunting, high hop, you know, trying to power slap, even standing and swinging away a little bit. So she's worked hard, not just this fall, but over in the summer and gained a lot of confidence doing all of them. I think through the gameplay and the at bats that she did get, um, with the games that she was playing. And that's huge for her, especially as an upperclassman. We look for her to be a big contributor on both sides of the ball. It might even be matchup based or obviously using her as a, as a replacement because of her speed. Offensively, we have a lot of trust in her and she'll lock down defender in the outfield. I know you're uh, this weekend as we record, you're going to be doing your Ole Miss World Series, but so far in fall, what returners have really jumped out at you and look like they're going to be primed for a, a breakout year in 2023? Our whole team, I'm a, I'll get to the, some of the specifics, but we're really proud of our, our athletes. You know, they, they chose to come back in August to start training. You know, we have four transfers come in and that was something that was a commitment from all of them. And they all got on campus early August to, to build those relationships, to get comfortable with each other, you know, to be committed to the weight room. Everyone's resources at home are a little bit different. So really to come back and you know, be in the weight room, go to the field together. And so we're really proud of how everybody came back. Practices have been a blast to go to. They've been competitive. Um, we have a lot of extension, extensions of our coaching staff. It's not just us leading and coaching and teaching with eight freshmen and four transfers. And, um, but I really think some of our upperclassmen have done a great job. Tate, we already talked about her. Michaela Alley's just been really impressed with her. They have to choose to take that fifth year and that's a choose to want to come back. Um, you know, so we're proud that that she both of those two did that. Uh, I think Michaela's just been she's a lockdown defender. I think not to overmiss her, she is a lockdown defender. She can be a little unassuming, but she just makes every play super high key IQ. And uh, she's been great offensively for us too. And season, her most complete season. She's very capable of being an elite two-way player. Um, so I think her and every area leadership on and off the field, Savannah Sykes coming in here. She's just a winner. Um, you know, I, I know Katie has a little a history with them, her and her family. And so Kate's like, you're going to love this kid. You're going to love her mentality. And I was at breakfast with her and her mom when they came and I was like, she's just a winner. <laughs> like she is tough and she trains and uh, she has a lot of success, but they've done a really good job of kind of implementing her and her not, you know, over, you know, kind of trying to make something happen a little bit sooner than it needed. So the relationships that they've been fostering and the leadership roles that have been kind of developed throughout the fall have been 
have been huge. And you really see a lot of those connections, even with our super seniors coming in. Um, so just, you know, we know what we're getting from Savannah. So four year SEC starter who's had a lot of success individually and certainly, you know, part of that Georgia softball team. Um, just going through it, I think our sophomores have really kind of stepped up and you've seen some maturity with them. We're, we have some older kids and then a lot of young kids <laughs> um, as well. So we have 16 freshmen, sophomores. Um, but, you know, I think just the leadership, Kayla, Naomi's one of them too. They've really, Brooke Vestal, um, Brooke Vestal is a kid who has great perspective, um, great leadership, even from the pitchers. And I think sometimes it's nice to have a voice because they're not always around us quite as much either. But those guys have have really kind of stepped into being comfortable, having conversations, leading, addressing certain things, um, you know, holding people accountable, creating the standard themselves. And and now it's not a, a coach's standards. It's essentially a program standard that we've all kind of like welcomed. And it feels like it's us and we all the time. Um, and that makes it an easy place to to come and want to be every single day for everybody. Coach, you mentioned Brooke Vestal, and that kind of leads into our, our pitching question because you lost Anna Borgen, but you bring back 75% or thereabouts of your innings pitch from last year. Caitlin Riley, Savannah Diedrich, Vestal, like you mentioned, you had uh, McKinnockley Thermos from Oregon out of the portal. How is that staff shaping up heading into this year? And has somebody kind of separated herself uh, to maybe be that ace role for you this season? Yeah, they've done a great job. I mean, Riker's a phenomenal pitching coach. He's an it person. He's an it coach. So is Katie. Um, but they've, I think just as their comfort with him and how we train and the terminology and the system that he has in place, it helps some of the, the new people come in. Uh, McKenna and Grace Burks, who's a freshman, they're all really different. And I think that's one thing that we become really comfortable as a coaching staff and making some of those decisions are just matchup based. And they all have a different role. And so he's really worked hard. We've really worked hard on, on working on where do we see their kids? What are their strengths? You know, how do we use them? And how do we use their strengths with each other to put together, you know, some of our matchups that we feel like, you know, may we may do. It could be seven innings. It could be five innings. You know, um, we've really had some lengthy conversations. And that's been the focus for especially Riker and the bullpen and his communication with the staff. Um, is getting comfortable and being really unselfish and, and how they're going to respond and who they're going to be when it's challenging and, you know, when to pass the ball back and what those roles look like and, and knowing why. And so it's hard to just point out one or two, to be honest with you, because we've given them all different opportunities. We put them in different roles to see how they kind of play off of each other. Um, but just really proud of like their standard for themselves, how they hold each other accountable, the, co the communication that you hear them having, not just with Riker, but with themselves, uh, really is an unselfish unit. You don't get that a lot from, from pitchers. And I think he's done a great job building a staff, not kind of working with them being competitive, but not competitive against that's divisive, that's actually brings them together and supporting each other. So um, we're really excited about the staff for all the diversity and everything that they bring us and and they've looked really good. We've done a lot of live, we've done a lot of inner squatting. Um, so everyone has, I mean, has different opportunities, but they've done a great job and they all have different roles and they've all been really successful doing them. Uh, collegiate athletics in 2022, college softball uh, in 2022, you have to be able to utilize the transfer portal. And uh, you certainly did that. We already talked a little bit about Clethermis and, and Sykes, but you also brought in Jenna Lord from Alabama. Uh, yeah, and uh, my Stevenson from Marshall. Um, what are what were you looking for when you went into the portal to bring into this team? And what do those those players you did bring in bring in? You know, some bad 
balance um you know with uh, my some power you know we lost some power we just talked about losing abby and brie roper and even sid who's just a big time player in big moments especially in conference and postseason so um just having the ability to be an rbi producer and drive the ball um you know you have an all-american someone's hit 60 home runs or close to it and so we got our power hitter um that can play both ways you know you got the pitcher and you know um Obviously, we've been really happy with McKenna. It's been a great fit. Really proud to have her and her family in our program. So we went after an elite pitcher. We got her. Um, Savannah Sykes, you have a four-year starter at Georgia who's been a starter to the World Series, who's had individual and team success uh, and knows just how to train. She's just tough. She's just a winner, and she's just tough. And, and Jenna Lord, who's an all-around player who can play multiple positions, who played and started as a freshman, has SEC experience, SEC success behind her name, and all of them had, were the right fit, not just in terms of their athletic ability, but what we thought personality-wise, that's important to us. Our culture that continues to grow um, is really important. We wanna enjoy the people that were around. And we felt like all of those four brought exactly what we were looking for in terms of the, offense, the field production, the team production, but even to add to our culture for different reasons. And so we're really excited about that. Maya's pretty light. Uh, very fun to be around and very, very light. She trains hard, but she got great personality. Jenna Lord, who just has even keel, you know, she can play a lot of different positions, but you ask her to do anything, especially offensively, and you know she's going to execute. And then I talked about Savannah and McKenna. So uh, we were really happy. We had some visits that we ended up having to, having to cancel, which was a, a good issue on our part when we got our commitments in a real short amount of time. And we were very comfortable and we just said, this is exactly what we we're looking for to add to the depth and the strength of our team and our team culture and can be more happy with who they, who we got in the summer, but even how it's progressed through the fall. And we saw Jenna in the FGCL and obviously we knew her from last year at Alabama, but I hadn't met Maya until this summer and you're right. <laughs> just, she is so much fun. And yeah. in terms of her play, you know, the first week, kind of a rough start. Then she connected on a ball in the second week this summer that I don't think has landed yet. And no. I'm just so excited to see her in the SEC this season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's sometimes just getting comfortable, you know, like that's always a transition too. It's like, you know, you go to a new team and it's, I don't, it's just, it's can be challenging. You're trying to prove yourself. Uh, you have confidence and you're trying to prove them right. Show them that you're good. Show them who you are. Um, you know, I, I've been really proud of the, the culture and the empowering space that we've created as a team each and every day for people to be who they are and be successful in it. But, it, you know, it's still easier said than done. And so it's just kind of continuing to try to feel their confidence and just let, let them know that who they are and what they've done in the past has already been good enough, you know, to, to continue just like kind of continue to build on what they already have set. And so it was a really cool day for all of us. And I'm sure even Katie offensively, because she works so, you know, closely with the, such an elite hitter to see her kind of like, feel a little bit fresher and be like, okay, this is what I've done, you know, for the last four years and see her do it here, even against an SEC opponent uh, who was just in super regional. So really, it was a really cool day for her, but we know she's capable of that. It's just our job to keep fueling her and building up her confidence and, you know, and, and what she, what she brings to the table is good enough. She's already proven that. And coach, you've mentioned all the youngsters that you're adding who from this freshman class should we be on the lookout for this year? Oh, yeah. It's so again, we have some really good depth. I think, you know, someone we have some uh, uh, Jamie McKay, who's a catcher come from baseball background, who's, you know, um, going to challenge. We have four catchers behind the plate. Uh, Jayla Lassiter, you know, is probably someone who 
um, has really done a great job and she's an incredible athlete. She's got speed and power. She's, she got an incredible mentality and, you know, even coming from the summer and watching her quite a bit, I was like, this kid's just, she just got it and she's fearless and she's confident. Um, but I think Jayla is going to challenge her multiple roles, especially because of her speed. Uh, she can go infield outfield, but she's a great, she's a natural outfielder covering ground out there. And, um, you know, Natalie Ray comes with some great training as an outfielder with a, a dangerous bat as well. Um, got Tinley, who's one of a Tinley Grisham, so who came from Mississippi, who's one of the most decorated players from Mississippi. She just all around, she's just good player, great speed. So she's going to be in games and challenging. Um, so I, we got a lot of them and, and they've done a great job. There's really almost, it's hard to pinpoint it. I know probably people get frustrated when they talk to me because I don't talk overly about too many people individually. So, um, you know, but they've done a great job and we look for all of them to be contributors to our success playing and, you know, contributing in different ways that they can. Talking with Jamie Traxel from Ole Miss as we continue media days here on the Out of Box podcast. And uh, coach, one thing you guys did during the fall, you did a, a doubleheader with Mississippi State, um, which is, you know, we don't see a lot of fall ball conference matchups, but uh, what did you learn from your team when you were able to win both those games? Uh, it's loved how they handled it and it wasn't easy and it wasn't supposed to be um, in that sense. So, and it wasn't clean and it wasn't perfect, but that's what happens when you continue to, you know, like elevate the level of competition. And that's why it was kind of like, we kind of said it was like a regional championship game. It was a regional championship game in the fall. So uh, we were excited for it. We don't play each other in the spring, which is why we were able to schedule each other in the fall. And um, me and Sam had talked and we just said like, let's even go home and away, you know, let's go home and away. So game one, Ole Miss was home and game two, we wanted to be visitors just to see if we could handle some of that. And, and um, you know, we kind of got out early. They responded. They took the lead. We responded again. And, um, and again, it wasn't super clean, but we were competitive. And uh, I just thought we were really balancing every side of the ball. Like, um, our offense did a phenomenal job. Um, we scored in multiple, multiple ways. Um, we had some home runs. We had some solos, a couple of three-run shots. And then we had some action plays that were executed. You know, we were aggressive base running, so we were able to get ourselves in scoring position. I thought we made some really good plays offensively, and, and for the most part, excuse me, I thought our pitches did a really good job. So uh, we were really pleased with what we saw um, because of how well we've been training and really what we've seen from our team throughout this entire fall as well, even in our competition games. So it was a great way to end the fall and appreciate you know, uh, Mississippi State wanting to do the same thing coming out here and in opening it up for players um, that were in Oxford for a tournament to come out and watch two SEC and state matchups go head to head. You don't get to see that very often in the fall, like you said, but we learned a lot about our team, but um, there's a, a lot of confidence, but we're humble and we're hungry. And I think that's easy to come to work every day because we're not coaching attitude. We're not coaching effort. We're not getting ahead of ourselves. We continue to be intentional with our training. I think they're seeing the fruits of their labor. Coach, we're going to close with a couple questions, as we always do, about the state of the sport. And one of the hot button issues the last couple of years has been the safety base. And this year it's being added on an experimental basis. I know there's a lot of language in the ruling and, and how all that will go once we get to the spring. But what are your thoughts on the NCAA putting that in place experimentally this year and maybe permanently going forward? You know, I like it, you know, um, we've been using it this fall and it just takes away maybe some of those plays that could potentially create an injury or even, you know, maybe a call that, you know, goes one way or another that doesn't have to be, but 
you know, in tradi traditionally, I think we always get stretched with what are we changing and why, and you know, what's the, the point of it. But once you start to use it, it kind of makes a lot of sense to be honest with you. Like um, there's less, even close calls, even if the ball's a little bit up the line, um, less collisions and, you know, the kid keeps kids safe and it really doesn't change the game except for maybe the tradition of what it looks like. You know, uh, we've been successful with it. And I think it's, I think it might be here to say just because of that. And coach, you mentioned getting calls, right. We saw replay implemented in the sec and widely across the power five. And then in the NCAA tournament this past year, how successful do you feel like that was in year one? I think it's a, I think it's great. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a lot on the line. I mean, all of these games matter and, you know, just like anything good or everything good or great starts somewhere. And there's always some things that you're going to have to work through when you, when, you know, you first start something, but I think it's a great start. Obviously there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of commitment to making sure that it is right for everybody for both sides. And, and the, I think the conversations are, are good and they're healthy as you transition into year two to make it even more successful and better for everybody. But I think it was a great start and by no means was it perfect, but that's for anybody. But again, I think the conversations that everybody's having about it, to continue to transition it, to make it as good as it can be for the reasons that people want it. Um, I think they're going to, we're going to get there too, but it's made a difference in the games for sure. And there's so much on the line with every single game and every single win or loss that um, to know that the best efforts and resources are being committed to making sure it is right. Like it makes you, it makes you feel good as a coach. My question, I want to ask you about your uh, non-conference scheduling philosophy. What is your general non-conference scheduling philosophy considering the strength of the league that you play in? And then do you foresee that changing any with programs, the caliber of Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league? Mm -hmm. I think you have to balance your schedule a bit like you're talking about, um, you know, and so I think like this year, especially like looking at, you know, who we're playing and who's home and away and, and kind of the where our team is at too. I think it's always a combination of a very several variables. And so we went out and wanted to play a pretty uh, pretty challenging schedule. Um, I think you need to balance it, of course. But you know, I think our schedule set up that if we do our job and we we do win, ultimately have to win that. You know, we're going to be in the conversation to be able to host this year. And um, so I think, like again, considering all your variables, what is your conference schedule? What is the makeup of your team? You know, how do you balance both all of both of those, especially to, to make sure you can go out and be successful. And I think that was that was the focus as we put together our preseason schedule. And I think barring, you know, if we can take care of our job, we'll be in the conversation at the end of the year to to potentially host. But obviously it comes down to the W's. Here with Ole Miss head coach Jamie Traxel. Coach, last thing. It's the fun question. We do oh, no. our uh, <laughs> we do our off-season podcast series, or we started it this year. It's called Out of the Box Office. It's where we brought in some of our favorite guests to discuss some of their favorite movies. So, Coach, if we scheduled one for you right now, what movie would you pick? For a favorite movie? For a favorite movie. The Guardian. Ooh. I like that. Love that movie. That's like the best non-athletic movie that is still like a great movie to watch, but has a lot of different points to it. And Ashton Kutcher and, you know, Kevin Costner, you can't go wrong with those guys. So Kevin uh -huh. Costner, it's yeah. always a win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, Jamie Traxel joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, go take care of Finley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you in the spring. Happy holidays. Absolutely. Thank you guys. 
Welcome back. So that was Jamie Traxel. You said it earlier, Tom. This was my favorite interview that we've had with her. This was the interview that wins my, all right, you've won me over award. Like I left that interview. I think I said this to you on the Zoom feeling way better about Ole Miss than I did going in. And, you know, they're bringing in some really good transfers, a very experienced infielder in Savannah Sykes. They've got Jenna Lord coming from Alabama. Maya Stevenson coming from Marshall, a fantastic power hitter there, and a pitcher coming from Oregon in Clee Thermos. They've got a big recruiting class. They didn't lose a ton of people in terms of bodies. Like Ole Miss could be one of those decider teams. Could they sneak up and win the league? I don't know. Will they directly impact who does? Absolutely, especially considering they close the SEC season at Florida and with Alabama and Oxford. Yeah. So yeah, they're kind of in that situation that Missouri was in last year to where I don't know if they're going to be able to win the league, but they might have a say in who does win the league. Uh, but it's going to really come down to them as if will all the new players gel together. Yeah. If they can gel together, uh, they can make a really good run. I also like the fact that, you know, to pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, we did this interview was it late October, mid-October, late October? Late October, early, early November. November. Yeah, yeah, it was right in there. Uh, so I'm glad we didn't have to go back and edit out any of the Juice Kiffin yes. conversation. We cannot wait to meet the puppies yes. in Oxford. <laughs> that weekend is May 5th through the 7th. Coach, we are not going to forget. I might mm. be tagging various animals on Twitter. <laughs> Just to see. I mean, I'm look, if we get a picture with both dogs, Finley and Juice, like, I'm good. It will make up for the fact that Big Red stiffed us in uh, mm. in Bowling Green. We haven't forgotten mm. Western Kentucky. Yes. Like in our tweets and then just ignoring us as BS. Come, right. come for you, Big Red Blob. That's crazy. Meanwhile, Auburn makes him look like the biggest badass in the history of mascots. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think Auburn knows how this is supposed to work as far as the the mascot looking over the field Photoshop picture. Because it's not supposed to promote the opponent and their and their and their mascot. Big red and Vecna. The same. <laughs> the same. Literally the same. Vecna, one of the scariest and most powerful people we've ever seen on TV. Big red, sure. Yes. Also that. <laughs> Somehow that's how, how we wrap get, up. How did we get to that from Ole Miss? But <laughs> Thank you to Jamie Traxel, as we yes. said. I, I, seriously, really, really great conversation yeah. we had with her. Uh, I think we got a lot about what the Rebels have this year. And again, that turnover, will everybody come together? If they do, could definitely have a big say in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very intrigued by the Rebels, and we will see everybody, including the puppies, in May. Coming up next, our good buddy Tim Walton. What I love about our Zooms with Tim Walton, the interview little over 30 minutes for the most part. The actual length of the Zoom, usually closer to an hour. Yes. Now, we talked about that before. Like, Tim Walton is probably the, the coach outside of Patrick Murphy that we talked to the most before and after the actual yeah. interview. You know, to the point where I, I was I was like, is that any any picture of Florida beating Alabama behind you? Unfortunately, yes, it was. <laughs> Turns the camera. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's next. Tim Walton, the head man of the Florida Gators. We'll be here on day three of Softball Media Days. Okay, here we go. The Florida Gators, Tim Walton. We know they're going to be good. They're always good. We will play the interview in just a moment. But, Tom, again, you know, we just teased it. I want to speak to it one more time. 
I love the answers he gives us. He's very straightforward. He can joke with us. And also in this interview, I learned an incredible memory. And you'll hear it in just a bit. He brings up something that we discussed on a coach's call in 2021. And I couldn't believe that he remembered that. Wow. Yeah. So just incredible stuff upcoming. (laughs) I mean, what more can we do but play the interview at this point? Here it is. Florida head coach Tim Walton right now here on Softball Media Days. Welcome back to Softball Media Days. Gray Robertson and Tom Canberra here chatting with the head coach of the Florida Gators. Went back to OKC last year. Tim Walton. Coach Walton, so good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. And before we dive into the Gators, we asked the same question to Tony Baldwin. I want to ask about the World Games and getting a chance to coach with Team USA. You looked like you were having a blast out there in Birmingham as your team won gold. What did you gain from that experience this past summer? Yeah, I I gain um, a lot of things every time I get a chance and opportunity to coach the national teams. Um, Not only are you getting stuff from the other coaches on staff and the other countries that you're playing, but um, get a ton from the athletes. I think it's all about building routines. It's all about learning what goes through the minds of, you know, high level competitors. And, you know, I'm kind of the guy that comes in typically and starts to find out exactly what a routine looks like. What do you need on game day to be successful? And um, I learned from the athletes. I learned from the coaches. Um, and then th- the next thing I do, I try to hold you accountable every day to what your needs are so that we don't get, uh, you know, get sideways um, cutting corners, whether it's a rain delay, whether it's a long game, whether it's a, a game that you went over three in and you're going to change up your routine tomorrow because, you know, you're superstitious. So I think it's really just about building a good foundation. And I learned a ton. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And the, the, the fans, the crowds in, uh, you know, in Hoover were phenomenal for us, uh, you know, obviously having, um, some former Alabama greats, uh, you know, and, and current Alabama great, you know, Montana Fouts and Haley, um, Halo McClendig. So it was awesome for us, um, but the crowds really made it um, just that much more enjoyable and fun to be around. And not only did you coach with uh, Coach Baldwin, you also ruined with Coach Baldwin, as we talked about with him. So was that like a sitcom, the Gator and the Bulldog and, and rooming together? Well, I was the first one to get to the to the dorm at UAB, which my son goes to UAB. So this is even kind of a, a full circle <laughs> moment as a dad. I got to be in the dorms before my son ever did. Um, but he was my room dog. And that's how I kind of <laughs> labeled it. And, uh, you know, Tony Baldwin, the head coach at Georgia, was my room dog. So it was it was pretty fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you all compare notes at all? What would you talk about? at night I know he said there was a lot of snoring you know once you both went to bed on either side but what about those conversations before bed you know Tony and I have um we've gone back a long ways you know when he was the volunteer and then you know went around his way at North Carolina and back to Georgia and then we had a chance to coach you know the 2019 team and we spent a long summer together uh in 19 in different countries in France and Ireland um and then our training sessions in um you know in, in Houston and then finishing up um, you know, the the world championships that we had uh, in Irvine. So we spent a long time together, um, have gotten to know each other pretty well. Um, I think the biggest thing that we we talk a lot, we didn't really talk a lot about, he asked me some questions about, you know, obviously him being a first year head coach. And, you know, we talk a lot about different things like uh, about, you know, recruiting and uh, football and being an SEC coach and recruit, you know, all the fun things that we do. Um, but Tony and I are, have a lot of respect for each other. And I think that you know, what you see on the field, um, it, we talk a lot about, you know, what it takes to to be 
a head coach, a, a dad, a, a husband, and all the other stuff that, you know, we have a lot of common. We both play baseball, and I coached against Tony way back when. Um, uh, and he was at Butler, and I was at uh, – I think we actually missed each other by a year. I was at Oral Roberts. So, um, But one of the guys I played with the Phillies was a teammate of his um, at Butler. So we've got a lot of stories more than just, you know, the softball stuff that we do every day. <laughs> Well, Coach, last year, the, the Gators, you guys made a, a really nice run back to Oklahoma City, including having to go through uh, a really tough Virginia Tech team in, in Blacksburg. Uh, what did you learn about your team at the end of last year? Well, the one thing that I learned um, is just how well the SEC prepares you for a super regional on the road. It's been a long time for for Tim Walton, anyway, to be on the road in, in uh, you know, in super regional play. So, to go on the road and play in a, you know, in a really, really, um, I don't want to use the word hostile because I don't think that's fair to the fans. I think it was a, an energetic, um, very, very big crowd every single day. Um, they did a great job. They love Virginia Tech, and it's no different than what you get when you go into Auburn, you go into Alabama, you go to Texas A&M and College Station. Um, a lot of these places, they love softball. They were very passionate. They were very knowledgeable. They were very uh, energetic. And um, I think the biggest key is we were young, you know, last year, our starting lineup was the, I think the youngest in, um, in the, in the college world series, uh, we were young and um, just learned that, you know, obviously it's, it goes back to what you start and all the cliches that us coaches use. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And, um, you know, we took our, our, our bumps and bruises and and lumps along the way. Um, but at the end of the, the season, we, we stepped up when it, when it really mattered. And um, I think as a coaching staff, we did a really good job of being able to utilize our entire roster to get the most out of them and find a way to get W's when it mattered. Well, and coach, a big part of that was the return of Hannah Adams for the postseason run. Her career is done at Florida, but it was a marvelous uh, four or five years for her under you. A, a great bat, one of the best defenders the league has ever seen. When you look back at her career, what really stands out about Hannah Adams? Well, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, if she's not the best defender in SEC history, she's definitely one of them. Uh, statistically, it proves it. I mean, you just look at the number of errors that she didn't make. Um, but overall, the number of chances and the number of opportunities and what she was able to do day in and day out. Hannah had her career taken out from under her. Um, and fortunately for Hannah, and this is the the message that I, anytime I have an opportunity to speak to young coaches and young teams, you talk to them always about, you got to play, you got to practice, you got to train, you got to prepare, like today's your last day. And this kid had an opportunity taken away from her. Fortunately for the Gators, um, she was a fast healer. She fixed a broken thumb, hand fast. She was able to come back out and again, be one of the best defenders in the entire country again. But the thing that it did for the team was it inspired them. And uh, I always use a phrase of you don't know where motivation and inspiration is going to come from. You just got to take it and learn from it when it gets there. And Hannah worked harder than I've ever seen Hannah Adams work, um, not only in practice, but outside of practice. She's out running sprints. She's on the treadmill. She's doing stair steppers. Um, everything that was taken, she's doing bare hands with her left hand instead of her right hand and right hand versus her left. I can't remember. It was her right hand that was broken. So it was her left hand. She did any and all things that you could possibly do to be ready to go when your number's called again. Uh, we didn't know what it was going to say with the x-rays when she got her cast off. And, um, you know, I, I, we got her cast off, I believe on a Friday 
I had her pinch running on a Saturday and a Sunday, getting ready to go for, um, you know, for the upcoming regional or for the upcoming SEC tournament, then regional play. So um, she was super inspiring, super um, fun for us last year to see somebody go, you know, to from from not being able to play to play at a high level again. Um, she's I mean, we're going to get into my roster this uh, this fall, but. I feel bad for any and all people that have to play second base for the Gators for a long time, because <laughs> you're only going to be compared to Hannah Adams. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, I've had, you know, Kim Wallazonia and Asia Pakulba and Kelsey Stewart. Um, but Hannah Adams, my gosh, that's, um, that's somebody I, I have very much look forward to writing her into lineup every single day for five seasons. You don't have, you don't have her coming back, but you do have uh, three of the best. Uh, that you can find in the conference, if not the entire country, coming back with Skylar Wallace, Eccles, and Kendra Falby. Um, what what do they bring to this team that's coming up here in 2023 as far as leadership and then also production? Yeah, I think when you – number one thing that I'm always looking for in returning players that have excellent seasons last year is what can you learn from last season that can help you keep going forward in this season? Um, how can you become a better player without losing your strengths – um, in other words, a lot of people try to focus on all their negatives too many times. I want to be able to focus on things you're good at and continue to get better. And then then you talk about the confidence and leadership piece. Um, to me, I think sometimes they go hand in hand. But I think with these three in general, um, they're so result driven. I think Skylar's probably the one that has the best process. Um, she's not she's a, I mean, I'm telling you, when she was at the World Series and uh, she had an error and she didn't get a, you know, a hit in a moment, there's nobody more competitive and hard on herself than, than Skylar, but, but she is more process driven. Um, she can take an over three day um, and, and, and move forward where Charlotte and I think Kendra, they're a little bit more result driven where they've got to get hits to feel good as opposed to feel good to get hits. Uh, they're, they're the, uh, they're, they're kind of interesting. They're really, really good competitors, but um, uh, we've learned a lot from those three. And I think those three are, are, are still three of our best players. Um, the speed that Scott, that uh, that that Skyler and Kendra bring to the to the table in practice and games is unbelievable, and Charlotte is probably that steady Eddie. If we go as she goes, if she's feeling good, has a good bounce to her step, has good energy, a good smile, um, she goes, we go, and it's it was clear last year when she went, we went really 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 well. Um, when she didn't, we sputtered a little bit, and I don't want to mean that in pressure moments, but um, she's. Uh, at the, she's our only first team All-American on this roster. And so, um, you know, I always I always hold those All-American kids to a different standard. And now Skylar Wallace is an All-American for the first time in, uh, in her in her um, in her history as a player. Um, I thought Kendra Falby had All-American numbers when you look at her across the board. I thought what she did, some of her game saving catches. And um, I thought the whole body of work for for Kendra Falby was All-American worthy. And I thought Skylar Wallace, I don't, I haven't seen anybody put together a statistical category. Uh, she looked like a video game, um, you know, last year, she would have a hundred plus rating on any of these uh, MLB, the show type rating <laughs> games. And yet she's a second team, all American. And I, I was a little slighted at that, but I think when I looked at the first team, all American kids, they were really good players with some really good names, some really good statistical categories. But what Skylar did last year, I don't, I can't tell you that it's ever been done before. Um, RBIs, run scored, uh, stolen bases. Um, and I had her playing three and four different positions. Uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, it was the stolen bases for me. I mean, I've got it written down here. 52 of 56. That's 
That's astronomical. I mean, and, and it was really impressive to see her uh, last year utilizing that speed. I did want to focus on Charlotte, though, because you also had a chance to coach her at the World Games with Team USA and all that she was doing this summer. How did that international experience further help her? I know you have experience on the U19 team as well with her, but now that she's gained, uh, gained I guess, more seniority at the college level, what did she take away from this summer? Yeah, so for her, the summer experience wasn't um, it wasn't as long. Um, I believe she only did the Canada Cup and she did the World Games. She didn't go to Japan. So for her, it was probably about a four week span. Um, I think what um, you know what for me, I was she, if she would have went the whole entire summer, I would have thought that probably would have been a little bit much for her coming off of the season that we had. The gain that she had was the passion for the game back a little bit. You know, I think when you're playing for your country and you're playing with other players that aren't playing for, you know, really anything other than, a, you know, a, a team championship, that's all you're playing for. I think that playing for the USA was a little bit more of a relief. She wasn't playing to be an All-American. She wasn't playing for, you know, the the the, the quote-unquote expectations that she laid forward on the season. I think it was just playing for the love of the game, the passion for the game. And um, and then she had some big hits. She had a big hit against Japan that propelled us, you know, to, to for the RBI, game-winning RBI against Japan in the championship game. Um, she was steady at third base. I think she had one little miscue uh, against Japan on an infield base hit to lead that game off. But, you know, that's an elite speed. you got to be perfect on the catch throw. But um, I think for us, the, the, the key for, for Charlotte is that she, she, she knows what kind of a person she is. She knows she's a glue person. She knows she's an energy person. And uh, she got to do it again, you know, with Team USA. She's, a, she's fun to coach. She's fun to be around. Um, when Charlotte gets one hit, you better watch out because it's going to be four before you know it. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing that, that she's so contagious. Um, and, and really, I, I say this again, as she goes, we go um, because of the spirit and energy and the, uh, just the, the personality that she has in the dugout and on the field. Let's take a look at your catcher position. You have a, a few options there. Sam Rowe and Emily Wilkie are both back. We saw photos of Sarah Longley getting some work in the fall as well behind the plate. Uh, how are things shaping up behind the plate there? Shh, don't tell Gray that. That's his favorite player <laughs> to watch from the summer league. So I know. <laughs> um, I, 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 Gray will be happy to know that Sarah Longley is our leading hitter from the fall. Sarah That's awesome. Longley is our leading hitter from the fall. After sandwiches out of conference games, you name it. She's been the one that's been doing, uh, been well. She's got a new pep in her step. And I think the catcher position has done that for her. Um, she's got a, a cannon for an arm. She's got our best overhand throw on the team, the highest velocity. Um, she's been really good, been fun. And and um, we're still coming off of the season from last year where we have a couple of, uh, of tune-ups, repairs, uh, some injuries, things. So um, we decided to give Sarah a go and, um, I'll be honest with you. She had a miscue in our orange and blue game too. We're still going in team practice. We go until December 2nd, which is very rare, but we're going all the way, all the way through because I did have a player playing with team USA. We did have a couple injuries. So we wanted to go a little bit later with our fall. Um, but Sarah has been very impressive. Probably if you ask me the, um, the, 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 the biggest bright spot from our entire fall so far has been Sarah Longley. That makes me very excited. You know, I'm we, very happy for Sarah. I, I remember when we're in Gainesville and he's talking so glowingly about Sarah Longley. And I'm like, we're, Gray, we're the Alabama guys. We're not <laughs> supposed to like anybody over there for this weekend. But yeah, he, he, well, he, I'll he's give him credit. He said, hey, coach, tell me about you know, Sarah. I'm really looking forward to seeing Sarah Longley hit this weekend. And I said, yeah, me too, Gray. She's <laughs> one, whatever. And sure enough, 
boom, base hit, two yeah. RBIs against Montana in the first, right. I think it might have been the first, second inning. And Gray was right. I mean, she's the player to watch, the star. He knew before I knew. Mm, that's it. That's it. I'm done. That's it. No more games for Gray. <laughs> Tim Walton, the Florida head coach, joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, let's move to the circle. You've got your top two returning pitchers in terms of innings pitched back from last year in Elizabeth Hightower and Lexi Delbray. And Lexi, in particular, really got a lot of critical innings at the end of the season and in the postseason. What did those two bring back to your pitching staff this year? What have they done this offseason to further develop this season? Yeah, well, first thing, I, I didn't I didn't finish the story about to Brent Thomas, Emily Wilkie, and Sam Rowe behind the plate, but they did such a good job of keeping those guys trained last year and going through the World Series and helping everything out. But but Emily's doing Emily caught today for the first time this fall. Uh, Sam Rowe's been consistent there. We've got Sam bouncing around a couple other positions as well. But uh, those three in particular, Bren, uh, Sam and Emily have done a great job of handling Elizabeth and Lexi and all the other ones that we have. But, um, you know, I, I I told Lexi that the key to the Florida Gators going to the College World Series in 2022 was Lexi Delbury. She's the key. And, um, you know, I said, if we have an opportunity to go there, it's going to be because of you. And when I say that to her, I really had, I mean, high hope. She had some big wins last year for us. Um, you know, beat Michigan as her first college start and um, some other really good outings that she has. She actually threw one hitter against Michigan, um, but she was really good and she can be really, really, really good. Uh, she hasn't pitched this fall for us yet. She's still coming back uh, from an injury from last year um, that came on a little bit late. But, um, you know, obviously Natalie Lugo might say, you know, if I'm listening to this podcast, I might say, oh, man, Natalie Lugo was the key to it. Well, Natalie was great. But we couldn't do it with just Natalie. We needed Lexi Delbury to, to take those innings on and do what she did. Natalie just embraced the role that was given to her that she earned and was the shutdown person for us, you know, as we made our run. But um, but Elizabeth's been doing well, um, you know, kind of same thing. Uh, slow going this fall. She's finally, I think, getting better. Um, but but she had uh, an early part of the fall off. Lexi's been out for most of the fall. Um, and then we have, obviously, the um, uh, the the other newcomers. Um, that we have going on but uh, you know Sam Bender Riley Trilicek's coming back as a, as a fourth year player for us um, as well and then we have Olivia Giganti who's a freshman um, getting some innings there as well but um, you know I, I think for if you said if you put me on the spot what's the key to the Florida Gators getting back to the College World Series in 2023 it's going to be the circle and um, I think the circle is the key um, it's called I think Ralph Weekly said it best it's called fast pitch for a reason um, you better be good at it and, um, you know, we, we got to get better at it, to be honest with you right now. We're, we're, we're um, you know, we're, we're not shutting a lot of people out. We have a lot, a lot to get better at, but I think overall they've been, uh, they've all been working hard and getting better and being very um, objective in their, in their process and working on change-ups and changing eye levels with their spin and their speeds. And, and we just had the Acrotech installed into the stadium here a couple of weeks ago. And that's really helped us from an analytical perspective, just be able to do a better job of getting pitch breaks, speeds, uh, change of speeds and some other stuff. It's been really, really helpful. Yeah, a couple of things. So as you mentioned, uh, Sam Bender coming in from Tennessee. Uh, what will she bring to your pitching staff? And then with the injuries that you're talking about and the pitchers not pitching as much here in the fall, is it going to be the spring really before you kind of figure out what the what the staff and what the rotation and that type of stuff is going to look like? I think I said this to you guys last year, and I'll say this again. And and again, this isn't a slide on our pitchers at all. They work really hard. And, um, you know, I think that any one of them have a chance to be really, really good. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a number one. I don't think we're going to have a pitching rotation. 
Um, and I think what we're going to plan to do is uh, all five of our pitchers need to be ready to pitch every day. Um, we did something here to end the fall where I threw them all back to back to back days um, and just getting them used to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, occasional Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Easter weekend, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So um, <laughs> uh, we're just planning to try to figure out a way to get uh, 21 outs every day is going to be a, be, be a goal for us. And um, we've been able to put it together, um, been able to try to take the strengths and, uh, and, and maybe some weaknesses of either our opponent or of our, of, of our pitchers themselves and just try to figure out the best way um, to utilize our pitchers. And they're, they're so complementary to each other. They work really hard. Um, I don't think we have anybody that would say that they're selfish. Um, I think they all do a good job of understanding and embracing. They trust their coaches. Um, you know, when Lexi Delbury gets, you know, grits her teeth and gets mad at me for taking the ball out of her hand in the, in the world series or other, I love it. Like I have no problem with it at all. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if they, if they want to throw shutouts, they want to throw complete games. I'm all, I'm here for it. Um, they're just going to have to minimize their pitches. They're going to have to do better job with, you know, plating balls. They're going to have to hit their spots, change speeds. Um, and more importantly, use our defense because our defense is typically pretty good. And, um, we want to see them use our defense, keep the ball in the ballpark is kind of one of my references that, just keep the ball in the ballpark. Give us a chance. Well, and Sam Bender is one of the additions, as is Pal Egan. And I remember being in Oklahoma City and, and getting a text saying Florida picks up Pal Egan. I was like, shoot, Tim Walton moves really fast. Uh, one of the best players in the Southland Conference the last couple of years. What does Pal Egan bring to your roster this season? So, you know, the, again, you go from the youngest starting lineup to the College World Series to maybe one of the oldest rosters I've ever had. And I know you can't, how do you do that in a year? Well, you add a, you know, a six year player in Sam Bender, you had a fifth year player in, um, in, uh, you know, in Pal Egan, and then you rotate now Skylar Wallace is in her fifth year. Charlotte Eccles is in her fifth year. Brent Thomas is in her fifth year. So we got old pretty quickly in some of the things, but um, uh, Sam's, you know, done a really good job for us so far. She's coming in and, and been getting some, some good innings in the fall, probably the most she's ever pitched in her career, to be honest with you. And I think that's good for her to figure out how to bounce back from bad days, but then also knowing that even if you have a bad day that yesterday, you're going to get the ball tomorrow, or you have a good day yesterday, you're going to get the ball again tomorrow again, too. Just, I think that's helped. Um, but they're both, they're all, a lot of these guys are first year players. And, um, the only difference between a sixth year and a fifth year first year players, you don't have next year to look at um, as an opportunity for growth. So they've got to come in and do some things now. Everything I did in the transfer portal and everything that I did, um, I did with with me knowing exactly how good of a recruiting class I was going to sign in the 2023 class. It's um, arguably one of the best in the entire country, arguably one of the best we've signed in you know, the history of this program. So I was very careful of the intended and unintended consequences last summer of doing things. And so everything I really tried to go after was one year transfers um, to get this crew uh, immediate, um, um, I don't want to say relief, but a re immediate um, attention to get a little bit better. And uh, Powell makes us better. Sam makes us better. They're both a long ways away from being starters in the SEC, um, but they make us better and they have made us better. And um, they, they got about, you know, probably about, about eight, nine weeks to go before they have to be, you know, being better than where they are today uh, to make a huge impact. But I've been really pleased with their work ethic. What they brought to our program has been exactly what I thought it was going to be. Are we sure Charlotte Eccles is only in her fifth year? It seems, <laughs> I was gonna say, it seems like that she's been there for a decade, but the uh, <laughs> coach, a, a couple of, uh, do have a couple of freshmen coming in, Olivia Gigante, Callie Pollard, 
um, uh, for the 2022 season. Uh, what will they bring in with such a uh, such an old roster that you have? Yeah, so when you start with Olivia, Olivia is a two-way player. She hits and plays first base and pitches. Um, and it's a lot for her right now. I mean, the, the game's pretty fast as it is. Um, and so uh, she's had a really consistent fall pitching and a really consistent fall hitting. She's been really good. Um, she's got a ways to go defensively still at this level just because of the speed of the game and having to do – I've only – Alicia Ocasio and Lauren Hager have been the only players I've ever had that can pitch, play defense, and um, and hit. And Alicia was probably the only one that could do it at the end at three different positions, pitch and play infield and, and outfield or hit. Um, so she's having a lot to do early, but she's done a really good job offensively and pitching. She's been solid. Uh, and then Kayla Pollard's playing. She's a middle infielder by trade. Um, and she's been good. Um, I think both of them would tell you that, you know, they come from two of the best travel programs in the entire country. So their expectations are through the roof. And um, and neither one of them have hit their expectation mark yet. Um, but I think that's, again, I've seen this 5,000 times. They've never seen anything like this before. Same thing with Sam Bender. Same thing with uh, with with Powell. They've never probably gone through struggles like this. Um, but this is normal for me. This is what you do in your Florida's a tough place to be. You have to go to school. Um, you actually have to go to class and, uh, and, and, and apply yourself to get really good grades. But our campus is competitive off the field in the classroom and on the field. And I think that that makes things a little bit harder to transition at first, but once they do, then it does get a lot easier. Like I look at Sam Rowe right now, she's not swimming at all. She's doing great. She's having a good time. She's working hard. She doesn't seem like she's overwhelmed. Where last year we got her in as a high school early early um, enrollee, and she was she was chasing her tail half the year. Um, right now she's doing a really good job. She's she had a good fall for us. Um, but I think those those four in particular, the newest ones, um, they're struggling a little bit, and it's not easy. And um, and if you can embrace the hard and embrace how hard it is to be good, um, they're going to be just fine. All four of them are good kids, and they work really hard, and and they're all coachable. And I think that helps a lot. Florida softball coach Tim Walton joining us for softball media days. And now, coach, we dive into the fun stuff, the stuff about the overall sport. And then, of course, we'll have our usual fun question at the very end. We want to start with the safety base. It is being implemented this year on an experimental basis. Uh, we've heard a lot of different things from coaches when we've had this conversation, whether it be supply chain issues, just getting bases in, or various other problems that they've run into. How do you feel about the implementation of that this year and the possibility of it being permanently done going forward? Well, number one, the supply chain issues are real. Um, I happen to have two of them. So thankfully, I got one for practice and one for games. So the Gators are set. If we need to go that route, we have it. We're ready. I love it. I've had practice with it every single practice this year. I've actually been practicing with it when we do our uh, scrimmages and we do our cuts and relays with live base runners. I always use it. So we we try to, to limit. Anytime you've seen a first baseman or second baseman dislocate their elbow um, in practice, you go, how can I avoid that moving forward in practice? So we've done it for like that for me for 20 years. Um, but uh, I love it. I think it's uh, clearly a necessity. Um, if you just look at the geometry of the field itself, why is first base inside that white line? And yet they have the running lane on the other side of the white line that nobody runs through. Um, just the way the game itself is written, um, I think it's a necessity. And if we can get away from using the word safety base and call it a double base, I think we have a better chance of getting this moving forward um, because it should be that. There should be a base for the fielder and a base for the hitter. Um, and you choose one or the other and stay with that side as you run through the base. I think it would definitely improve the game. 
but also um, take out a lot of the subjectivity that, that we put in the hands of the umpires at times. Cause you can almost call the runner out every single time the catcher throws the ball or every single time the third baseman throws the first, cause they're not in the lane. All you have to do is watch the video. They're not there. So um, I think this could clean up a little bit of things uh, moving forward. Well, I'm glad you mentioned leaving it up to the umpires because that is our next question. Replay. We had it for the entire SEC regular season last year. Uh, I thought it got better for sure as the season went on. What were your main takeaways of how that worked in its first year? Well, I, I can tell you, I, I don't even know that I've been close to getting thrown out of a game uh, in a while. So I think that that definitely improves. Um, I go into the games, uh, you know, went into the game in the SEC and the SEC tournament, uh, regional, super regional, and then also the World Series confident, like knowing that it's not going to come down to somebody on the bases. It's not going to come. It, it came down to play. And I think that the having the replay just really allows the umpires to get it right. And it, it, it keeps the game decided by the players. And um, I think moving forward, there's going to be a, a super controversial play that replay is going to get right. And um, it's going to make everybody either mad or happy. But I think at the end of the day, nobody cares about, you know, if you're happy or you're sad, they just care about getting it right. And um, I think that that's what this really does for the umpires. It gives them an opportunity to be human, make a mistake. And then, um, and then ultimately they can, they can get it right. And every umpire that I've had communication with, they love it because again, the game's so fast. Um, it's, it's not like you've, you hit a fly ball to center field and you got seven seconds to see if they're going to catch it or not. Like it's a short, quick, fast paced game with superior athletes to, to many sports. They can do it. They can run, they can jump. There's been some phenomenal things happening in our sport in the last few years. Um, I think this is a, a, a great step uh, moving forward. And there's going to be more, there's going to be more plays added to the replay card. Um, it, the hardest part for me is, you still see the gamesmanship that goes on between some of the coaches that don't quite know the rules. Um, they're asking the questions and they're still delaying. That's not, we got to do better as a coaching um, body and learn the replay card, learn the rules, learn what's on it, learn what's not on it and move past it. Ask your questions to get the game moving forward. Want to ask you about just your general non-conference scheduling philosophy. You know, you guys usually play a tough non-conference, especially when you have the home and home with Florida State virtually every year, things like that. Uh, but what is your general non-conference scheduling philosophy? And do you think that will change any in the next couple of years when Texas and Oklahoma come in the league, considering how tough the league is already? Yeah, I think that because we're still moving forward with the same uh, you know, scheduling structure, I don't think that my scheduling uh, non-conference is going to change uh, that much. We're adding obviously a couple more really, really, really good teams. Um, and then, but I don't think it's going to change what I do. Uh, a lot of times what you do in recruiting is, uh, I mean, sorry, in, um, in scheduling is you, you go to where you're getting recruits from and we got kids from all over the country. Um, but it'd be, it's, it's always, now I've gone to California every year I've coached except for the last few because of COVID um, and, and kind of some, some budgetary restrictions and some things that we're trying to be mindful of. Um, but we'll go back. We'll head back to California this year, which I think will be great for our kids that that are all from out west. Um, but now I've got some kids um, signed from from Texas, and so I think that you know adding Oklahoma and Texas probably helped us a little bit in that in that regional discussion with them because now they know that now we have Texas A and M, we have Oklahoma, we have Texas. Um, it gives us an opportunity to play and close to their family. So maybe we'll add going to 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 the Houston area and play some preseason stuff. Uh, moving forward to give some of those kids an opportunity. But 
Um, I, I definitely, I like to, I don't like to play all my games at home. I think going on the road builds chemistry, going on the road, um, builds familiarity with new players. So we typically go to South Florida, um, every year to open up the season, play a really good schedule there. We get, um, some top 25 teams. Um, but we also, one thing I've noticed about the Florida Gator softball program is where we go, we get big crowds. And I think that helps us play in front of big crowds. It prepares us, but it's also a good revenue booster for all the teams and tournaments that we go to. And, and we're, I'm mindful of that. Like, I don't, I don't typically go somewhere and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we need some, we need some tickets for our players, families, and we need some opportunities if, if allowed, because we're bringing in a big crowd typically. And I think that that's the best part about this game is that um, we, we have an opportunity for a lot of people to see a lot of really good softball, especially in the preseason and then moving into the SEC. All right, coach, the last question, the best question, in my opinion, we've gotten some very fun answers as we've talked to all the coaches here the last couple of weeks. We did a really fun offseason podcast series called Out of the Box Office. We had Caleb Rose, Sam Fisher, a lot of our friends on to discuss their favorite movies, break them down. We had awards. It was great. If we started a new podcast right now and discussed a movie, which movie would you pick? Oh, my gosh. I'm so bad at movies because I... I'm, I'm, I'm an impatient person. So there's a lot of things that go through my head, but um, I would probably say if you were going to go to, a, I'll, I'll go to the Godfather just because it's anytime we start thinking stuff like that, I always go Godfather for some reason. That's a great answer. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the all-time classics. 100%, I mean. Yes. <laughs> we're going to have to go to the mattresses here in a few minutes there guys. No, I'm just <laughs> We don't find a, a horse head or a gator head in our bed. Yeah, we don't want that. You know what? It's I never really appreciated what that was in that movie. Like going through the, I mean, obviously the the horror and the in the voice uh, behind that horse head. But I had a friend, and they that's what they do uh, outside of their real jobs is they um, they they they're they're in the 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 quarter horses. They're in the horse racing industry. And to find out exactly that, you know, you think, oh, they won the Kentucky Derby or they, oh, they won the Preakness or they won whatever. You know, you go, oh, wow, they won two million. They won seven million because they bet and they did some other stuff. Oh, no. What that horse is worth in, in breeding is where the real money's at. The, 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 oh, my gosh. So I understand that man's voice in the movie now a lot more because you go through, you know, you go through a little bit of understanding exactly just how much money um Bold. goes into not only getting a horse like that but the the offspring and uh oh gosh what a what a what a crazy business yeah we're all in the wrong line of work oh, we need geez. to be in breeding yes. horses that's it that's it that's how you get the millions <laughs> yes florida head coach uh tim walton joining us coach it's always a delight always a pleasure to chat with you thank you so much for hopping on no i, I appreciate what you guys not only do for for you guys and and have fun but what you do for the sport and the sec in general and you know, all of our teams, we're working really hard to, to promote our athletes in a positive way. And you guys bring out the best. So we appreciate all you guys do. Thank you. Go Gators. Thanks coach. So that was Tim Walton. And again, the Gators are going to be good. I'm interested to see how the pitching works out. Last year was the first time they haven't had an all American pitcher in a very long time. And they had to travel for supers because of that. And yet still got to OKC. Yeah. So if I've learned anything over the years, it's never count Florida out and always trust they're going to be good by the end of it. But pitching to me is what I'm most excited to see how that plays out this year. This is our, like you said, this is about to have our fifth season of the Yellow Box podcast. And I remember there being a season 
where we made the mistake of counting out Florida. Yeah. We're like, we just really don't think Florida is going to be very good this year. Next thing you know, they're almost winning the conference and going to the world series. Yeah. And that's, that's just the way that that they are. Florida is never going to not be good. Uh, And I think they're going to be good again this year. One of the interesting things about the interview, like you said, he was very straightforward in a lot of ways was that when he was talking about the pitchers, he talked a lot more about people other than Elizabeth Hightower. Mm -hmm. Uh, So does that, Am I reading too much into that? Or does that mean that she may not be that leadoff person in whatever rotation they end up having? We did not see a ton of her late in the year. I think right. part of that was probably injury-based. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that as a total guess. Um, but also part of it was because she was basically being outperformed by Natalie Lugo and Lexi Delbury. And Delbury's back and she's going to be really tough at her worst she can be wild. She'll walk a lot of people, but we've also seen her at her best. And part of that was game two of that series in Gainesville, where if she's on, she's very tough to hit. And if Florida gets that Lexi Delbury for the majority of her performances, mm-hmm. you know, with Skylar Wallace, Charlotte Eccles, Kendra Falby, and some of the other pieces that we know they've got, top eight seed probably. I mean, it would be tough to see them go anywhere else. And as he talked about with Charlotte Eccles, how the team kind of goes as she goes, you know, she struggled at the beginning of the year, yeah. offensively, especially. She just hit 307. Right. Uh, but as she got heated up as the season went along, that's as Florida kind of got, got yeah. better. So I think that was absolutely uh, correct. And what was it that he, that he remembered from so long ago? So the Sarah Longley reference, I right. asked about Sarah Longley. We did, you know, Sydney and I were doing the first game of that Florida series in 21. We were on the Zoom with Amanda and, and Kevin Brown, and – I asked about Sarah Longley because she'd been playing short a good bit at that time. He made the same reference and he just recited it word for word here a year and a half later, (laughs) almost two years later. Yeah. Like that's incredible. But you know what, when you've got, you know, when you're a coach, you've got these weird little special skills. You can remember stuff like that. Right. We have those conversations with Patrick Murphy all the time. We have it with a bunch of people who coach. They can recall things out of the blue. I can't remember my own name half the time, but Patrick Murphy can tell me what happened in 2014 against uh, against Southern Miss, and I'm like, well, what? I don't that, I have no re- I z- have zero recollection of that game happening. He can tell me who pitched and how many innings they went. Pitching, right? Ha, that's a free one for you on your bingo card. <laughs> Kentucky's not even on. No. When we come back, Samantha Ricketts, Mississippi State did something that's never been done before in Starkville. And now the question becomes, what does it mean for the future? That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That's my sloppy, clunky way to 
reference I, that we're talking about Mississippi State. I once went to a Mississippi State football game, so I hear cowbells all the time. Okay, I was wondering around. why you were yeah. rubbing your ears <laughs> when we were coming in here. It must have been that time of the day. Yes. You just heard the bells. <laughs> I went to a game in 2018 in the newly enclosed stadium in Sartville, and boy, is it loud. Oh, man. And you know what? Their super regional atmosphere was loud as well. Oh my gosh. And it was it was really one of the great stories of the NCAA tournament. Mississippi State getting out of Tallahassee. You don't see her face. I saw her face when I referenced it as one of the bigger upsets in regional history. And uh, I don't know if she'd even really truly considered that. But when you look at it statistically, it is. And how Mississippi State got out of Tallahassee, it's a testament to Coach Ricketts, to that program, to those players and that coaching staff, and just how they were able to find a way to beat Florida State twice on Sunday right. on the road. That's that's what not only did they go on the road and win a regional against the number two seeded team nationally, they fell into the loser's bracket and had to beat that team twice on Sunday yep. against one of the teams that we thought, and I still think, would have had the best chance to beat Oklahoma in Oklahoma City had they made it. Another tease, I admit this to Coach Rick, it's Florida State was my national champion pick last year. Mm-hmm. And Mississippi State rolled in and beat them. Yeah, just just <laughs> busted that bracket wide open. Yeah, and so now the question becomes, how do you take last year's success, okay. use it going forward, and do it without Mia Davidson? Right. How do you sustain it? Was that just a, a culmination of Mia and that senior class really putting everything together for a postseason run? Or is it an indication of we're going to be able to do that and sustain that moving forward? Yeah. We'll find out. Let's do it. That's why they play the game. That's why we play the interview. Cue the transition music. Samantha Ricketts, the Mississippi State head coach, joining us here on day three of Softball Media Days. Welcome back to Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box podcast. Greg Robertson here, and I am pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Samantha Ricketts. Coach, always good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm fantastic, and I'm so excited to chat with you because last year, Mississippi State reached heights that had never been reached in the history of the program. You won in the Tallahassee Regional. One could argue that was one of the bigger regional upsets we've ever seen coming out of a two-seeds home tournament. And then you get to host Supers, which looked incredible. The crowds were fantastic. What did all of that success last year really do for you and for the program all the way around? Oh, I think it was just a huge moment and year and season for our program. And number one, just so happy for the seniors. Think of Mia Davidson, Annie Willis, um, Montana Davidson, the ones who'd really uh, bought into the vision of this program before we'd made it. And they wanted to leave their mark. They wanted to do something that hadn't been done before. So just for them to be able to finish their last season in the maroon and white uh, that way with that historic season was just such such a great feeling for all of us. And two, I think just excited for the future of the program and, you know, what it really means for us moving forward. And, you know, we've been recruiting with this vision of raising the bar for, for this team and this program and to do that and to kind of have some concrete evidence and proof um, to go along with it. I know we're excited for the future and we're willing to work and to keep getting after it, getting better. And I think that's really kind of been the message now moving forward this fall is that was the focus is how do we make this fall tougher? And, you know, we're not going to sit back and go in cruise control on our one super regional appearance, but how do we continue to dive in and be gritty and tough 
um, and make this something that we can repeat. Well, it was really fun to watch, and and we were unavailable for Supers Weekend uh, because Alabama fell in regionals. So I was thinking, oh, you know, I might go to Startful. It was impossible to get a ticket. the The fan atmosphere was phenomenal. They brought in all those seats, and I, I still couldn't find any. How much did the fan support mean to you and to the program last year? Oh man, it was incredible. It was so much fun just to be a part of and to watch. Uh, Definitely overwhelming at first. I think, you know, first and foremost, nobody was really prepared to host. Uh, luckily, we've got a lot of experience within the department with doing that for baseball. So that was really helpful. I think, you know, my boss, Mike Ritchie, uh, my immediate sport oversight, he was a huge piece to that. Um, and just handling that influx of ticket requests from friends, from families, from fans, from boosters. Uh, I think, number one, that was the first feeling we all felt at the beginning of the week. And then as we got closer and everything was handled and we're seeing just the time and the investment put in by the program and, you know, to do, to go above and beyond, it wasn't just, we're going to throw up some bleachers here and there, but no, we're going to set up whole viewing party stages in the outfield and on the concourse behind the stadium. So you're never missing a moment and there's always opportunities for more people to come in and view. And I think that was just really special. I think for the girls to see like, Hey, like this is a big deal. And this university, this athletic department understands that and they're going to take care of us. Um, and then number two, just the support that we did receive for, you know, the fans that showed up, you know, 2,200, I think, um, in one game. And it was huge. This, that support that just lining the decks, standing room only in the crowd, um, it was a huge base of alumni and family and friends was just, it was just such a special feeling. And one thing I think I'll never forget is that first game it's 11 AM on a Friday. It's not really ideal softball time <laughs> and it's packed. There's a line outside. Um, and we take the field for pregame lines 30 minutes before the game. And our whole fan base stands up and starts cheering. We just, we're just running out there to warm up. And the girls all kind of just stopped and looked around like, Oh, this is like, this is it. This is the big time. And just, I think, to get people excited about softball, about Mississippi State softball in our community and have them show up and support um, women's athletics and our softball team has been huge. And you know, we've had a lot of sports that are making really great progress and doing um, setting a lot of historic seasons. And for their sports, I think of volleyball, you know, making their first ever postseason appearance last season, um, our women's soccer, you know, winning their first postseason game this season and just continuing to push the bar forward and we're all kind of looking towards, you know, that bar that's been set by our baseball program, who's always historically good. And for us to be able to do it on the women's side as well, and to get the same support as the male sports are doing has been a lot of fun for us. That's awesome. And it really did look like a phenomenal atmosphere, even at that 11 a.m. Friday game, which uh, was a ton of fun to watch. And you mentioned how awesome it was to give Mia Davidson this experience, a chance to not only play in Supers, but to host Super Regionals to close out her career. One of the most prolific power hitters the SEC has ever seen and one of the best in Mississippi State program history. When you look back at her career, what really sticks out? How special truly was she? I mean, for everything that Mia Davidson did for us on the field, which everybody knows the stats, and it was a lot, um, you know, all the accolades, all the awards, all the big numbers and home runs she's put up, I think really what she provided this program off the field was so much more than the numbers. Um, just the the quality of her character, the type of person, the type of leader, just the type of, um, you know, just the compassionate person that she was and is truly at her core, I think is what made her so special. She was, you know, just the complete selfless teammate. 
She honestly has been an extension of the coaching staff since probably about her sophomore year. Um, and just one that I, you know, I could really trust if I'm in a cage with one kid, I could turn around and she's helping another hitter working through a specific drill or a movement um, in another cage and just somebody that we relied on. She's been a, you know, a field general, a leader on the field in the dugout, everything in between. Um, and she truly cares about the success of her teammates, this program um, and everybody involved. And that's where I think really ultimately we will miss her the most and it's kind of been one of the bigger learning curves this fall. It's not how do we replace Mia's home runs? How do we replace her numbers? But it's how do we replace her presence and just her voice and what she brought um, to commanding the field and everything that she did without a bat in her hands, really. So when you talk about that, replacing the intangibles, not necessarily the statistics, who has really stepped up? Because you do have a lot of returners. I look at the numbers. You've got 80% of your hits back and 75% of the RBIs. But who have you seen step up in that facet and the intangible facet? We do. Um, really, one who's been right up there with Mia leading the last few years has been Chloe Malaulu. Uh, She's been voted our team captain the last two two years now, going on three. Um, and she's she's done a great job. I think she's really learned from Mia. You know, she was a year younger and got a chance to kind of listen and learn learn from her. Um, it's a little bit of a different leadership on the field, you know, because she is in left field and instead of behind the plate with all eyes on her. But if you keep eyes on Chloe in the game, there'll be times she's pretty much at shortstop because she's just trying to will a pitcher, uh, you know, to to encourage them, to to speak to them. And I think she's done a great job of that. But we do need a little bit of that leadership, I think, to step up in the infield and to really kind of for the pitching staff has been a big part of it. Um, you know, and you do, we have a lot of experience, which is helpful. You've got Madison Kennedy, uh, Paige Cook, who've really kind of locked down the left side for us for a while. And, you know, Maddie has been, um, really great at that shortstop position since her, her freshman year. Um, but just getting her to kind of push a little bit more, you know, she's been a good job of leading the infield, but now we need, we're asking her for more. Another one is Riley Hole or Shay Moreno or Jackie McKenna, whoever's going to be catching for us, um, getting them to really have that presence with the pitching staff and calm them down. Um, whether they need someone to hype them up, calm them down, whatever that might be, but just being confident in their decisions, being confident that it's okay to make a mistake, um, as long as we're doing it with intent behind the plate, um, whether it's a call out on a play or anything like that. And I think that's been probably the biggest adjustment is in that catching position, not even just physically in what Mia did with her arm, but as a leader back there too. Chatting with Mississippi State head coach Samantha Ricketts and coach, you've mentioned a couple times the pitching staff. Annie Willis is gone. Uh, she had a phenomenal couple years with you after transferring from Troy, but you do again return a hefty amount of pitchers in that staff how has everybody else kind of stepped up this fall without any willis kind of leading the charge yeah i think um aspen wesley first and foremost she is picked up right where she left off uh you know i think that defining game for her was that first elimination game in tallahassee against florida state where she just came in and completely shut them down um and she's you know she's had great games for us throughout her career and it's just continued to get better and better and her composure definitely is up there to match Annie's, but I think she's, she's ready. She's ready to step into that number one role. She's ready to have the ball. Um, she's composed, she's mature, and she's kind of taken on that leadership role in the bullpen that Annie's held for us the last few years. So I think we'll definitely see um, Aspen out there quite a bit. Kenley Hawk as well. I think last year for Kenley was just a huge learning season. Um, so talented. I mean, what, what she can do in the circle is just really special, uh, but she went from, 
I believe eight innings two years prior to 99 last year. So that's a big jump. And she kind of had to learn what that pressure felt like of being the one, the one in the moment that the team's relying on. And she's just continuing to learn and to grow from that. So I'm excited to see with that experience under her belt from last season, what she can continue to do. Um, and I think the same thing for Mata Faapito. She kind of came on strong for us at the end there and picked up some big innings. And I think she picked up again, right where she left off and she's stronger, which is scary because she's already a big, strong girl, uh, <laughs> but she's really started to buy into the weight room and, you know, her pitch, uh, her pitch mix is completely different than when it was when she came in here and she's bought in with that. And I think she could definitely take a big chunk of that innings and will probably throw more than we saw her last season, as well as a couple of freshmen. I've got two really talented freshmen in Reese Berline and Josie Marin that I think could see time right away. Um, and then Grace Fagan, you know, she's kind of been our lefty specialist throughout the years and you're really hoping that we can get her in some bigger roles this year to take advantage of just the different look she provides for us. Yeah. You mentioned Aspen Wesley in that Florida state series. And as I referenced earlier, you know, that regional coming out of Tallahassee was a huge accomplishment. I'll be honest. I had Florida state as my national champion pick. Oh, so, oh that's a big yeah, one. I, yeah, I did. So I, I think a lot of people were very impressed by what your pitching staff was able to do in those final two games. Again, from a confidence standpoint, how much does that help a player like Aspen Wesley, considering that early in the year you're going to Clearwater and you're going to face tough competition from the very beginning? Yeah, I think it's a huge piece that I'm most excited for is you know, that large kind of, I don't even know what to call them, COVID senior junior class you know, of Aspen and Kenley um, and quite a few of the other infielders as well and our hitters they're now, you know, going on four years of experience and it's starting to show. And I think for Aspen, um, she's just such a competitor. She's been that way since the seventh grade, you know, she's got five state championships in the state of Mississippi and you know, she knows how to win and to do it on the biggest stage, I think just further solidified that in her mind. Um, and it's been fun to see her kind of step up in every way since then. And there's a picture of Aspen on the mound in that game and just this laser focused look in her eye where you just knew no one would beat her. And it's, it's my favorite picture from that, that whole series. Uh, and I think this, that's just what she brings is just this intangible competitiveness, um, kind of a chip on her shoulder. You know, people count her out cause she's five, three and they don't expect her to be able to compete in the sec. You know, the rest of our pitchers are probably five, 10 and above, like they're pretty tall, but you know, she's, she's smaller, but she's, I mean, a bulldog at heart and is going to go out there and fight and scratch and claw for everything she gets. And I think she's ready to continue to prove that. And I, ultimately, I think that's why she's such a good fit for this program and this university is it's kind of, you know, the Mississippi State way. It's being counted out, people not picking us. So what? Good. We don't care. We're going to go out there and fight and scratch and claw for everything that we get. I love that. And there is a natural segue here to the next question I have written down, which is about one of your newcomers, Florida State transfer, Kirsten Landers. <laughs> um, we saw her in Tallahassee in the shortened 2020 season, and she was impossible to keep off base, but she's been dealing with some injuries the last couple of years, hasn't really been 100%. Where is she in her rehab as she tries to get back to full health for you this season? She's she's almost back to full strength. Um, we did take it a little bit slower this fall with it being her second knee injury. Um, but I think we were really confident in the process of recruiting her and of bringing her in, of knowing that we had the staff, um, the technology, the weight room equipment to really take care of her the right way. Um, and just a lot of testing and retesting, you know, we're big 
on force plates. And then of course, everything within our athletic training staff to test you know, the range of motion between her good knee and her bad knee. Um, but I mean, all that to say this, I mean, she was at maybe 70% a few weeks ago, a month or two ago. And our uh, strength coach said she's the most explosive athlete we've ever had in the weight room. And just to see her be able to do what she's done and not be full strength. I know, you know, we're already really excited for her. Um, again, she's an extreme competitor. I was really having to kind of reel her back in, in some games. She's just, you know, you put her in a game, she wants to compete and she's diving and making all these plays. I'm like, Hey, we're not fully hundred percent yet, Kirsten. Um, but we're excited to have her. She does. She just brings, you know, a level of, um, explosiveness and speed and power and that mix that we really haven't really had a whole lot of, um, and what we're kind of working towards. So I think we'll see her at full strength by, by the time we get to February. And I think she's just going to continue to get better and better as she gets more comfortable, you know, being back at a hundred percent. And she is among a list of a bunch of new people coming into your program. You've got a large freshman class as well. You mentioned a couple of the young pitchers, but who in this class that's coming in, should we be on the lookout for this season? Oh, that could be a tough one. Um, you know, we did, we brought in seven, I think for us, you know, we've been working towards in our recruiting, just a more kind of dynamic overall athletic, um, approach, you know, players that can do it all that can hit for power and steal bases that can play multiple positions that aren't just so trapped into kind of a one tool type player. You know, we want, we want five stars. We want five tool players. They can hit, they can run, they can throw, they can play defense. Um, and I think that's this class is really kind of an overall what we were able to do with them. And from, you know, Reese Berline uh, is really one of the pitchers I think really had a great fall and impressed. I think we'll see a lot of her Josie Marin will get a lot of big innings as well. Um, and they're just one thing that stands out to me about both of them is they're just very composed, especially for freshmen on the mound. They don't get sped up or they're not, you know, scared really is a big thing when they're facing our lineups. Um, so I think definitely we'll see some big innings out of them and kind of trial by fire, throw them out there in clear water and see, see how it goes. <laughs> um, and you know, that's, I schedule that way for a reason. We've done it every year. We're going to take our lumps, but we're going to learn from it. And hopefully the sooner, the better, um, because we've had years where it wasn't soon, but that's okay. And for us, you know, it's trying to get them that experience before we get to SEC play. Um, same with the others. We've got uh, Macy Graff, an infielder that can kind of play anywhere for us um, out of Texas. Nadia Barbary, a, another infielder that just really smooth fielding. They can um, play some defense. I think ultimately it'll be, you know, can we get their bats working in the lineup? But I think we'll see them in there, even if it's kind of late inning defense, kind of get them some opportunities, get them comfortable. Um, those are two big ones. I think for us as well. You said sooner a bit ago. So I have to ask when Oklahoma's <laughs> non-conference strength of schedule dropped a few weeks ago, one thing that jumped out was that they were coming to Starkville. You were getting your team to play your team. So how yep. excited are you to have the, the squad where you played coming to play the squad that you currently coach in Starkville a couple times too? Oh yeah. We're really excited to host them. I think, um, we've played them really every year, the last few years, my <laughs> staff kind of gives me a hard time about it, but you know, if we want to be the best, we got to figure out how to beat the best. And that's kind of you know, the way I work and I'm not going to shy away from a challenge. Um, and I think it's always a good measuring stick for us. We played them the first weekend out last year, uh, we played OU, we played UCLA, we played LMU and we came back home and said, Hey, we gotta, we gotta reevaluate because we clearly were not ready, you know, to play at that level. And I think ultimately starting off the way we did last year and learning those lessons early at one point we were sitting at 500 
um, early on in the season. And, you know, we, we do that, we take our lumps, but we come back and we circle back and how do we learn from this? And I think that's really what kind of set us up for success in Tallahassee. And by the time we got there, like, well, we've seen rankings one through five, what's another one at this point. <laughs> um, and that's really why we continue to schedule the way we do with them, uh, with OU, with the Clearwater schedule that we do have that, that team, the teams out there. Um, it's to continue to test us and see if, if we're ready and where we need to circle back to the drawing board and kind of reevaluate um, whether it's our lineups, our approaches, anything like that. But really excited to bring them here. They don't travel, I think, to outside preseason tournaments, um, you know, at a host institution often. And we're getting them here for, you know, I think it's a, they're playing four games. So they're playing us twice and a couple other teams. So it'll be a big weekend. I keep telling, you know, our staff, there's going to be fans. Like there are going to be a lot of people for early March tournament. Like we need to be ready. And we're excited for it to really kind of bring that postseason feel to Starkville again in March. And again, it's all about preparing us for the postseason. And, you know, why not start practicing that feeling at home as well? I love that. That's going to be another weekend that I'm, I can't wait to watch. And there should be, Two really fun games against the Sooners, among the many other games that you'll be playing that weekend. Uh, Samantha Ricketts joining us here on Softball Media Days. And Coach, this is where we dive into the more philosophical softball <laughs> sport questions, the fun stuff, you know, about rules and whatnot. Oh, always fun. <laughs> yes. So let's start with the safety base. Uh, it's being implemented at an experimental basis this season, uh, there's a lot of minutia about both teams agreeing, and some teams have had difficulties even getting the safety base in. What do you think about the usage of this rule this year, and do you hope it's something that is put in permanently going forward? Yeah, we are one of those teams that we've had a hard time securing um, the bag that we're looking for to practice with. I think there are different levels, and for us, you know, we want the quality of bag that we would use in season, just especially from a safety standpoint. Honestly, the only time we were able to use it this fall was when we went up to Ole Miss and played in two games up there. Um, it really, it went well. I thought it was helpful. We didn't have, you know, we had a lot of close plays um, and it never, there was never any issue with the collision. With um, I would, you know, like to practice with it more before it was implemented in SEC play, but I do think, you know, we would definitely be on board for making that a permanent fixture. I think the safety number one is always going to be a priority. And if there's a way we can prevent collisions or injuries just by adding, you know, an exterior orange bag to the game. I think it's definitely well worth it. I'm glad that you brought up the Ole Miss fall series. That was something I meant to ask you about, but I missed it on the list. When you've got a fall weekend, a doubleheader against a conference team, what do you learn about your squad in those games? I mean, obviously you're treating it both like a real game, but also like a fall game. Did you take any lessons away from that? Oh yeah. A lot of lessons. Um, you know, and it's, we love to play good competition in the fall, especially SEC competition, which can be tough, especially with, um, you know, our locations and region regional matchups to everyone. But since Ole Miss is not on our schedule for the spring, we thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to go up there, um, play in front of some fans. There was a big travel ball tournament going on the same weekend. So we kind of wanted to get that feel of an SEC weekend, in the fall, um, particularly for our new players, for the young ones, so they could get that experience. And it is a tough, um, it's a tough kind of balancing act. You know, you want to play the younger ones, you want to get them the experience of the environment, but you also want to win and you want to compete and you want to make sure that your returners are getting the time they need. So I don't know if I've quite figured out the balance of it, but I tried to do a little bit of both. Um, and I think we did learn some lessons. You know, we, we thought we were great rolling in off of a fall weekend um, against 
so a different level of competition that we'd face, put up a bunch of runs, you know, and then we go and we see quality pitching and quality defense and opponents. And it was, again, we like to kind of get those wake up calls. For some reason, we like to learn our lessons the tough way. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, that was kind of the, the conversation that we had after that weekend was, Hey, here, there were some bright spots, but there's also a lot of room for improvement. And this is why we have to take the fall serious every time we get an opportunity to be out here together. Um, so I think it was overall a good weekend for us, a good lesson and something that hopefully we could roll with us into the season and into the spring. Bright spots, but room for improvement has also been something that I've heard uh, describing replay last year. There were uh, <laughs> some some things a lot of coaches liked. There were some things they want to add to the list. There were some, you know, timing things that they want to fix, particularly in the NCAA tournament. But after using replay for the first time in conference regular season play, how do you feel like it went? Um, you know, I think overall for it being kind of the first year, I do, I do think it went well. Definitely some bumps along the road and some things that can be improved upon. But just the the fact that we were able to finally add it in and use it on a consistent basis was just so huge for our game uh, to be able to kind of one, catch us up to what baseball was doing, but two, just, you know, continue to advance with the technology that we have and ultimately to get the calls right. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. And to, you know, make sure that we're respecting the integrity of the game uh, with everything we're doing. And I do think it really benefited us and probably all of the sec schools to have been comfortable with it. You know, when we got to postseason we'd been using it all year long. So we had no problem kind of knowing when to challenge, what to challenge. It wasn't an issue for us. It was just kind of part of the game. Um, and I think that kind of comfortability with it all really helped us, especially in that regional, we had some big plays and it was some tight games and the replay was definitely a factor throughout a couple of those. Um, but we enjoy it. Definitely some things I think we could maybe circle back to on it. I think partially the biggest issue I have is some plays might be, they're only half reviewable. You know, it's only reviewable. It's called a hit and not an out or something like that. And let's just get it right across the board. We want to get the call right, no matter which direction, but then you get into the nuances of well, where does the runner go in this scenario or not. And I get where it can be tricky, but hopefully as a whole, we start to become more comfortable with it. We can get it exactly. Um, it's probably never going to be exactly right, but maybe kind of close up some loopholes along the ways. Yeah, we're still young in this whole process, so still there's new. plenty of time. <laughs> Samantha Ricketts joining us for Softball Media Days. Last thing, Coach, this is the fun question that we always like to close on. Uh, we've got a fun little off-season podcast series called Out of the Box Office where we bring on guests and we discuss their favorite movies and we break it down and we give out awards and it's a ton of fun. If we had you on, if I started a new podcast right now, which movie would you want to discuss? Oh man, you can't put me on the spot like that with a movie, Gray. That's tough. <laughs> <laughs> like which movie? Okay, movie to discuss or like favorite movie? I don't it, know if that's- It can be either. It can be the same. Tom's favorite movie is The Princess Bride. And we did one <laughs> on that a couple of weeks ago with Kayla Bro, And that was an epic podcast. <laughs> I, I That would be a good one. That is a classic. Um, This is probably going to make me sound like a huge nerd, but I am, so it's fine. But I think what I would probably be the most detailed with and be able to discuss to length would be the Harry Potter series of movies. <laughs> I would be all in on that. <laughs> Sam Fisher has been pushing for a Prisoner of Azkaban out of the box office episodes. We might call you for that. Yes, just get the Sams talking about Harry Potter and we'll be good. <laughs> yes, perfect. 
<laughs> I love that. Samantha Ricketts, the head coach at Mississippi State. Coach Ricketts, so good to see you. I'm very excited to come to Starkville. News Park is the final stadium that I have not called a game in in the SEC. So oh, I'm nice. very pumped for that conference series and Alabama comes to Starkville. Well, good. Yes, that'll be a big weekend. I know we're expecting um, a big crowd. Uh, that's our Super Bulldog weekend. So it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll see how that new construction is coming along, but it'll be, it'll be done enough by the time you get here. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we're excited for the season. I know you are as well. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat. Yes, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, Samantha Ricketts, another delight, another interview, Tom. Unfortunately, you weren't there for, but again, you know, I feel confident in what she's building. I really like her. And we have to look at the fact that, yes, Mia Davidson's gone, but look at this roster, Tom. There's a lot of yellow up here above the Mendoza line. They've got people back. Yeah. It's just about using the confidence that you gained at the end of last year and carrying it into this season. You could say, you know, two years ago, it was Mia Davidson, and then everything else was just kind of put together with duct tape and chewing gum. Yeah. Last year, there was a lot around Mia Davidson that – she's not the only reason why they were in the position. They well, were. and I think part of that, you know, two years ago, you had Fa. That was pretty much it. Right. Last year when Fa left, it seemed like everybody else raised their levels. Yeah. And that leads exactly to what you're talking about. Right. So I think it was the fact that everybody else stepped up. You get so many of those people back in addition to the newcomers. Uh, Mississippi State's going to be one of those teams. Again, it may not be a team that's going to win the conference, but they're going to have a say in who does. Yeah. And Coach Ricketts sure sounded confident in Aspen Wesley, Kenley Hawk, the other pitchers beyond Danny Willis, who had a phenomenal career in Starkville after transferring from Troy. So Mississippi State is going to be a team to watch this year. Again, you know, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to win the league. But as we look at the schedule, they've got Alabama coming to Starkville. They've got Arkansas coming to Starkville. And then, you know, a Kentucky team coming to Starkville. They've got LSU and Georgia as a way series. They're going to have a chance to make a say. Well, and we've seen, you know, Mississippi State, has one of the more rabid fan bases once they decide we're going to go after we're going to follow this team and we're going to really support oh it. yeah we've seen it with baseball uh, we've seen it at times with football basketball as well when the team is really good or they've done something to get the get them out the cowbells come out yeah and so i would not be shocked if because of that postseason run they did last year if they awoken some some softball love in Sartville and to where it can make that atmosphere in Startville a really tough one. Yeah, and you could tell how much that meant to Coach Ricketts when we were chatting with sure. him. That, uh, that hopefully is something that they continue to see build as we want to see the sport continue to grow. Yeah, News Park is is a nice facility. This will be my first trip there. So it's the last one on, on, I didn't on, know. on the docket. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't go in 17. We didn't have it in 20, so here we are. Yes, so that, that'll be all 13, right? That'll be it. And then we're adding two more. <laughs> sure. Just to make life harder for me. Can't wait. Yes. Uh, media days is going to be so long in a couple years. <laughs> oh, man. You think these episodes are too long? Just wait mm. until we add Patty Gasso and Mike White. We're going to have a lot to ask them. Yes, a little bit. Oh, man. Speaking of a lot to ask, we've got one more interview coming up, and it is the LSU Tigers. Beth Tarina, the head coach, a disappointing end of the year. We'll cover it all as they look ahead to 2023 when we come back here on Out of the Box. One more to go. It's the LSU Tigers, the Bayou Bengals. What a 
bizarre season last year. We've got Beth Tarina coming up. You know, we saw LSU in the non-conference. Look fine. Some iffy results here or there. We weren't sure what to expect. Alabama goes to Baton Rouge, and the Tigers dominate a doubleheader mm-hmm. on Saturday. And we were like, oh, man, LSU has woken up. Here we go. Look right. out. They promptly get swept at Texas, like, the very next weekend. And that just kind of started the roller coaster all year for the Tigers that concluded with a loss to Mississippi State in the SEC tournament and an 0-2 trip to Tempe in regionals. I don't know if enough has been made out of that. SEC teams don't get no two in barbecue. That no. doesn't happen. So yeah, I think that was that was a very disappointing end of the season for LSU. Uh, but it was a team that was never, you know, they could never ha- find any consistency. Very up and down all year long. You know, even that weekend in in Baton Rouge that that Alabama had, if that had been a normal three-day, three-game series, I think Alabama probably wins that series. I agree. Alabama just had one bad day, and unfortunately, Alabama played two games on that day. Should have been Sunday. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, that's the way it worked out. But it, it's it was just – you could not un- – mind-boggling. You couldn't understand what LSU was doing all year long. And it wasn't like there were – I don't think there were, like, coaching decisions that were being made that I was questioning. You just didn't know – what effort or what type of what team was going to show up that yeah day. it was impossible to pick lsu no. series last year no impossible idea. no and I, I think as we lead into this interview i should just point out this is the interview that i still think about and not for the good reasons I, I i'm still not quite sure how i feel about this lsu team and i don't feel like coach Torino really gave me the answers I was hoping to hear about what the squad would be like this year. If I'm just being perfectly honest, she's delightful. And with some of the non-softball stuff, we had some of our best answers. When we dove into the team stuff, I didn't hear what I was hoping to hear. Yeah. uh, I, I think we, we talked about how remarkably transparent most of these coaches are. Uh, I felt that coach Trina was frankly a little bit guarded uh, on some things, which, you know, it's her prerogative. She doesn't have to tell us anything. We appreciate her coming on the show, Yes, but um, you know, it, it seemed as though she had the answers that she was going to give us regardless of what the question was. Right. Which again, her prerogative. And that's, <laughs> that, that's the way that interviews go sometimes. Uh, but we got some good stuff, but don't know if the questions were answered. Right. If that makes sense. So we'll let you make but, your mind up. Yes. Uh, don't here, listen to us. Listen to her. That's right. Here's Beth Tarina, the LSU head coach, our final interview here on day three of softball media days. It is time to literally call Baton Rouge for softball media days here on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury, very excited to be joined by the LSU head coach, Beth Tarina. And just a little peek behind the corner, we are talking with Coach Tarina the week of the Alabama LSU football game this weekend. So we will keep the smack talk on both sides to a minimum. Coach, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Coach, I'm just curious. I was just thinking about this. When the football schedule comes out, and I'm sure you're planning, you know, when recruits will come to LSU and come visit, do you look at games like Alabama coming to Baton Rouge, like Tennessee coming to Baton Rouge a couple weeks ago as key weekends to to show recruits what your university is all about? We do, for sure. I mean, honestly, every game in Death Valley is pretty incredible. It doesn't matter who we're playing, the Tiger fans always show up and they show up big and they show up loud so it doesn't really matter who we're playing we're going to be there but um it is fun to see some of those big games you know the 
Ole Miss game was an awesome experience. We had some of our uh, 2023s on campus, which was really cool to have them be a part of that big win. So um, it, it's been a fun football season for our new coaching staff, and we've enjoyed supporting them. I, I will say, even as a opposing fan, regardless of the result on the field one way or the other, I've never not had a good time in Baton Rouge. So that's that's yeah. definitely for sure. It's impossible, man. We know how to do it. We know how to <laughs> we know how to cook. We know how to tailgate. We know how to do the whole thing. And um, you know, it's it's fun just to walk around and see all the different foods and flavors and sights and sounds that happen on campus and around the stadium on game day. That's for sure. Just just don't ask what's in it. Just eat it. It's fine. Just <laughs> that is a hundred percent correct. And guess what? They're not going to tell you anyway because everybody makes their roux a little different. All their special ingredients. You know, I'm not native, but going in twelve years, I'm getting to be native. So I learned that pretty quick. You don't ask what's in the roux, and they're not going to tell you anyway. <laughs> right. Well, and speaking of, we also want to say thank you for your recommendation of the chimes when we came to Baton Rouge last year. I don't know if you saw the video that we made, but one of the better lunches that we had all season. Tom, I know you agree. Oh yeah. Uh, crawfish mac and cheese is all I had to say. That was tremendous. Nice. Nice. They definitely know how to do it over there too. So we can cook it up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We can feed people. We can love people. Um, we can, you know, make you feel a part of this culture. We have a very special culture. I think about it all the time. Um, you know, there's so many special things about this place just with Mardi Gras and who else gets a Mardi Gras break in the country? You know, like who else does, does it the way we do it? it it's a pretty special culture. And I'm, I'm just, it's been so fun being a part of it, raising our three girls in it. it. It's been a really, really fun experience for this Florida girl transplanted here to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, coach, let's talk about the team that you had last year. Obviously, the ending wasn't the way you wanted the season to go, uh, losing in the Tempe Regional. You kind of had a little tough stretch there at the end with the SEC tournament in there as well. So as you look back, what are your main takeaways from the 2022 season? I think there's so many. I mean, we just didn't have it at the end. You know, it just wasn't the right group of people at the right time and the right moment. Like we just didn't have it at the end. And um, some of it was out of our control. You know, some of it was just um, a lot of lessons learned moving forward. So, you know, I think we've done a good job this year of having a, a smaller roster, getting people more reps in practice, getting people just more time with their teammates. They're going to know each other better and getting to do things differently. So, um, a lot of lessons learned for me as a coach. I think that's a big key, right? We're always trying to fail forward. Um, and although the whole season was definitely not a failure, I mean, I don't know where we ended up, but 18 and RPI or something like that can't be too bad. Um, but of course, it's below our expectations and the standards that we've set for the program. What a career for Shelby Sinceri when, when she leaves your program, fifth in career home runs, consistent pitcher for your program as well. What does she mean to, uh, to your entire program? Yeah, she is a special one and definitely will miss that group of seniors that left. She is so special and just what she brought to us both on the mound and, you know, in our lineup. And to be able to do that at the high level she did in the SEC, you know, she functioned a lot of days as our number one pitcher. Um, you know, we're throwing the big games. I don't know if we've ever had a number one, but she, she was throwing a lot of the big games and then still hitting in the middle of our lineup. The work that she put in in her career is truly unmatched. I mean, the amount of effort and time and work that she spent in the field that she put in to be able to do that is just incredible and just speaks to her character and what she brought to us, the way she was able to perform at that high level in both areas of her game. 
Coach, last year we asked you about the very tall task of replacing Aaliyah Andrews at the top of the order, and we saw Danica Coffey and Sierra Briggs in the one-two spot really thrive. They were your top two batting averages on the team. What do those two bring at the top of the order that, that can make your offense go? Well, everyone asked me about Aaliyah Andrews, but I'm sitting in the office with the gold glove on the wall here. So, um, you know, Sierra Briggs, um, I think Aaliyah Andrews would have won the gold glove too, so there's no knock on her. Um, but I think that, you know, I always said Sierra was going to do it differently in her own way, but she's just so special what she brings to not just our outfield and our offense, but to our team chemistry and our culture. She plays every day with so much energy, like everything in practice is a game, is a contest. She makes every day fun. She challenges the people around her. Um, she's just a big reason for our success. And we, we go as she goes. Um, and then Danica Coffey is another one, just a fun player. She's like the kid, you know, she's like the kid that you see on the sandlot that just loves to play softball. Um, she's just fun, a fun personality, fun to be around. So it makes sense that those are the two table setters. You know, you have the kid and you have the leader of the energy and, and sets the tone for the team. I think it's really nice. You have those two at the top of the lineup. Then this summer we saw Taylor Pleasance get some just invaluable experience as a starter for uh, Team USA in their run in the World Cup, uh, in the World Games, I should say. Um, what what does that experience uh, do for her, and what does that bring to the program? Yeah, it's so nice to have our players involved in that program and just competing in, you know, big stages around the country, around the world. It's fun to have her doing that. I think Taylor Pleasance is in great shape. I'm so happy with the fall that she's putting together. She just looks strong and looks mentally strong and looks ready for this year. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with the spot that she's in. And, you know, I know a lot of the things she's done over the past year has led to her being in the place she is. Chatting with LSU head coach Beth Tarina. Coach, Georgia Clark, every time we turned on an LSU game, I feel like we saw her hitting a home run, driving in runs, just just overall being one of your bigger run producers. And great, she's coming back. Great, whatever you would do, a, a scoreboard update, you, okay, LSU. Well, I, I would say literally, did Georgia Clark hit a home run? And more times than not, yes, was the answer. Yes. <laughs> What's the next step for her offensively this season? I think she's just got to keep doing what she's doing. You know, she is a huge part of our offense. She's a huge part of our power offense. I think she's brave at the plate. She makes us fearless when we go up there. She doesn't see a pitcher that she – thinks that we can't hit so she's going to come back to the dugout and she's going to make us brave when she comes back you know um so she is extremely intelligent really smart she approaches hitting differently i think than a lot of people do but um feels like she's always one step ahead of the pitcher she's honestly one step ahead of me a lot of the times too i gotta watch myself with that one um but i expect another great year out of her and i think just keep building on what she's done um, and that's producing solid offensive numbers for us for the past few years. Uh, Coach, you said earlier in the in our discussion here that you don't, don't know if you ever really have had a number one or haven't had one recently uh, in the circle, but uh, Allie Capone certainly appears that she could be that person for you this year. Uh, what has she done here in the offseason, and what do you look for her in uh, 2023? Yeah, she looks great. You know, I was looking at some of her numbers yesterday, and her quality pitch number, you know, we track in practice, like, when they're thrown to the hitters, how many of the pitches are quality? Well, they, they hit the spot or they miss the mark. And her number right now is off the chart and just how well she's locating her pitches and being effective with her pitches. It's one of the highest I've ever seen through the fall for us. So 
Um, I like how she's executing, just pitching like a veteran. And she's going to need to be a veteran as she's leading this young staff. We have super, super talented young staff, but young, right? So they're going to have a little learning curve, I'm sure, but they are extremely talented. We're so excited about the future in the hands of these guys, Sydney Burzon, Ailey Johnson, Emma Strood, and Ray Chafin still just being a sophomore. Um, we're excited about, you know, what those guys are going to do for the future of the program, but they will without a doubt be led by Allie Kilpunnan this year. I wanted to ask about Raylan Chafin as well, because we saw when Alabama came to Baton Rouge, kind of her breakout performance. I mean, we, you know, she was somebody on the stat sheet, she's somebody I'd watched film on, and then she totally blew me away when we saw her in action. What has she taken from that really exceptional freshman year campaign into year two in your program? I think she's getting better all the time. I think she's one of our most improved players right now. I see a lot of things she's doing better. Um, she's never going to back down from a challenge. If you challenge her, she will step up to it. She is a huge, huge competitor. Um, just fun to have somebody like that in your bullpen and wants the ball, wants the big moments, wants the big games. So um, I think you'll see her shine a lot of times this year. What other uh, returning players have had a really good fall and are looking for a big breakout season in 2023? Yeah, I think the big name around here right now is Mackenzie Rudity. Um, she has done so many really good things. You know, last year she was coming off an ACL tear that she had in high school. So I don't know that we actually saw what she was fully capable of. Um, but right now, whoo, watch out for McKenzie Rudity. Watch out for Allie Newland. The outfield as a whole, I think, is just really, really special. And I'm talking about their offense, but I'm also talking about their defense. I just see them executing throws and things that are just so high level all the time. Um, just bringing us a ton of energy. So I love the way our outfield's playing this fall. Allie Newland, Mackenzie Rudity is just killing it, hitting it to all parts of the park and just crushing it. Um, and of course, the Airbridge in center field. Rudity, of course, one of our favorite names to say on the broadcast Rudy. as well. <laughs> just incredible. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about the transfers that you brought in as well. You brought in two very experienced players and Carly Petty from Oklahoma State, who's got World Series experience, and Hannah Carson from Michigan, who's caught some of the best pitchers in the country throughout her career. Where did those two fit in in your lineup this year? It, it's kind of hard to see like how they don't fit in. They're so cool and so special and they've walked in and just made themselves a part of this team. Um, you know, Carly Petty, I think is hit a home run in every fall game we played sometimes too. Um, Danica looked at me the other day and said, coach, I know you don't get a lot of transfers, but you really did great. Um, <laughs> they, do too. they love them so much. They love their personality. They love how they play the game. I think you're going to see them a lot. And I think they're going to be, uh, big contributors to what we do. It's nice, you know, we have a freshman catcher that we've waited for for a long time in Macy Bajron, and uh, it's nice to have her matched up with a fifth-year senior with so much experience, and I think the two of them just playing off of each other, um, they're going to really have it locked down behind the plate for us this year. I want to ask you about uh, Macy as well as your other freshmen you have coming in, a pretty good, uh, pretty big group of them. Uh, how have they acclimated, and who do you expect to uh, see contributing already here in their freshman year. Yeah, it's a big group. It's a special group. It's the last class that we committed early in. It feels like we've been waiting for this group forever. Um, we felt like they were one of the strongest classes we've ever signed in our time here um, <clears throat> from the very beginning. So they're proving us right every day. They do so many special things. You know, I think you're going to see them all over the place um, this, this spring. So I think they will be in the lineup. I think they'll be on the mound. 
Um, I think they'll be contributing in so many ways. I'm, I'm really excited about the entire freshman class as a whole. Coach, let's dive into some of the stuff we're going to talk about with everybody that we have on the show. And we'll start, of course, with the safety base. It's been a hot topic the last couple of years. The NCAA has implemented it in an experimental usage uh, format this season. It's up to both teams as they participate, whether it will be used in a game. And so I wanted to ask you, is that something that you hope to have at LSU home games and on the road if offered? I think we're still in talks with the SEC of what direction we're going with it. So I think I'll just defer to them and, you know, whatever they decide is best for the game is what we'll do. Um, I definitely need to learn the rules if we're going to use it. I know there's some <laughs> tricky things about it, never played with it. So definitely need to do a little reading. Taylor Pleasant says she's an expert. So I'll be leaning on her to get some of her um, advice if that comes into play. Yeah, that's true. She's used to it. She used it all summer. So there we go. Yeah, she was already telling me how she's got some tricky things she's going to do if we get to it. Ooh, stuff up the sleeves <laughs> with, with the safety base. We'll be uh, on the coach, lookout for that. Indeed. Uh, Want to ask you quickly about the uh, your non-conference scheduling and, and your general philosophy on it. Um, what, what is your general philosophy on non-conference scheduling? And then do you expect that philosophy to uh, change any when um, when programs the caliber of Oklahoma and Texas entered a league that is already so tough to play with anyway? I think we've always tried to play the best, the absolute best competition that we can. We've tried to um, get them here in Tiger Park or travel to see them. I don't see that changing. I think that's kind of who we are. I think our players come here to play the best competition, so we'll continue to give it to them. I wanted to add to that because every year, and I haven't seen your schedule yet, it should be out by the time this airs, but – You've got that fun rivalry with Louisiana every single season, the home and away. What does that do for, for the program, for both programs, really, that you've got that kind of non-conference rivalry that you get to play every year that has so much emotion going into it every season? Yeah, that's something we missed for a long time. I think it's great for our state. We do have ULL on the schedule again this year. We'll definitely be at their place and our place. So um, I do think it's really good for softball in the state of Louisiana. And I think you know, softball in the state of Louisiana has produced some really fun players and great players. So I think it's an, it's an awesome game. It's a good event. And, you know, I hope it continues. That's one of the more unique places to play there in Lafayette, for sure. And then uh, as I talked about with Texas, you guys kind of have a rivalry with them anyway. Uh, so that probably won't change a whole lot when they come into the conference either. Yeah, if, you, if you're the outfielder in ULL, you might get a snack out there, like a sausage on a stick or something, pork chop over the fence. You never know what you're going to get in the outfield at ULL. So they always, <laughs> like we do in Louisiana, they feed you on the way in, on the way out. So it, it is fun going over there. I've never wanted to be an outfielder more. That sounds <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Coach, we also saw last year the first season of replay used in, in conference play. And I think early on, it was kind of a mixed bag. Some people were pro some people didn't like how long it was taking or, or whether even some of the calls are being changed but by the end people seem to be more on board with what we had what were your thoughts on how successful the replay system was in year one yeah I loved it loved it let's get it right I think our women deserve that they work so hard they work so many hours a week let's get it right for them so um, I loved it I think honestly it takes some pressure off the umpires too that they don't have to feel perfect I'm sure they want to get it right too they pride themselves in that so um, I loved it let's keep it going because here in the off season we've been doing a kind of spinoff podcast called out of the box office where we uh, talk with a, a guest or two about a movie we really go in depth on it and discuss it 
if we were to have you on as a guest on Out of the Box Office, what movie would we talk about? Oh, Lord. Well, I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, if I told you the last few things I've seen, you guys would probably crack up. But remember, I have um, a seven, eight, and nine-year-old girl. So typically, my movies are like Hocus Pocus 2, Lyle, Lyle's Crocodile, things like this. These are the most recent <laughs> things that I've seen. Um, and they are blockbusters. So whoever sure. tells me they're not, they are lying. Um, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile has Shawn Mendes and a really good soundtrack. So um, I recommend it. But you would have to go in this kid realm if you were going to get me involved in this movie talk. Did you also like it? I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, I hope I'll get to it at some point. But in the trailer, I saw a video of Lyle wearing a Florida sweatshirt. And obviously you went to Florida. Is that something that made you a little pro the movie? That that part of the movie is hilarious. Maybe it's because of my history that I thought that, but if you don't think that's funny, it's really, really funny. So I don't want to be the spoiler person, but that part is hilarious. So it's a cute movie. Go for it. Check it out. Sing songs. I can sing them here if you want me to. It just might need to be a little bit longer show and maybe some of the listeners tune out before we start. <laughs> we'll save that for when uh, LSU comes to Tuscaloosa this year. We'll have a little nice karaoke party before or after the games. <laughs> I'll be ready. I'll tune it up before then. Uh, that is LSU head coach Betharina. Coach, so good to see you again. We will see you, like I said, in a couple months when the Tigers come to take on Alabama in conference play. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You got it. Thanks for having me. All the best to you guys. Welcome back. You've heard it. Again, Betharina, always a delight. And in particular, when we talk about food, like uh, crawfish man, mac and cheese, by the way. Just incredible. Just Mm. Yes, and, and we really do look forward to seeing Betarina at some point later on in the year. LSU will be coming to Tuscaloosa. We'll all see each other in Fayetteville, the SEC tournament. So that'll be a blast. How good is LSU going to be this year? I don't know. And this is the one interview where I walked in feeling like I kind of knew what they could be, and I kind of felt like I knew where the floor was, and I left it feeling a little bit worse about LSU. Why is that? I don't know. And, and perhaps Coach Tarina doesn't want to show all her cards. And as you said earlier, that's her prerogative. She doesn't have to reveal anything on this podcast. And I might look like an idiot in a couple months, which is almost definitely going to happen. Whether it's about this or something else, yeah. we don't know. But I don't know how to feel about LSU. And considering how last year ended, I don't think that that's a very good thing at all for what's going on in Baton Rouge. Yeah. I don't think that there's questions like serious questions about almost anybody in the league entering the season. Will those questions start coming up later on or into the season? LSU's one of those teams that it it could. Yeah. I mean, they got to bounce back. They have to bounce back. The schedule provides an ability to bounce back. Your road trips to start are at South Carolina and at Ole Miss. Those are not super dangerous, although we think Ole Miss will be better. You've got Tennessee and Missouri at home, so you don't have to go to Knoxville. You don't have to go to Columbia. At Auburn, that'll be tough. Mississippi State at home. At Alabama, we know that'll be difficult. Georgia at home. Like, you know, in terms of, I guess, putting a numerical figure on it, this is probably a middle-of-the-road to slightly easier conference slate. So the chances will be there for LSU, and they've still got Coffee Briggs, Taylor Pleasance, who we know how good she is. Like, everything roster-wise is there. It's just about finding the consistency and putting it together. The opportunities will present themselves, but it's all about this program taking them. We've discussed in years past 
that LSU, you could almost map out how their season was going to go even before the season started because there was going to be a swoon at some point and then they would bounce back. And that swoon usually happened toward the end of the conference slate. Yeah, third or fourth weekend out. Yeah. But then, you know, they, they were going to come back and be good to really good for the postseason run. Last year, you never got any baseline. It was up and down the entire time and then, you know, down at the end, which is where you definitely don't want to be down. So will they be able to find any consistency at some point to basically get things started to, you know, this is where we need to be to begin to begin with. So when you hit those bumps in the road, that they aren't these giant chasms that it became for LSU last year. And we'll see. They have the roster to be able to do it. Uh, we'll see if they're able to put it all together. And they will have a chance to also make an out-of-conference statement. The, oh, Oklahoma's going to be on the SEC Network on the road on a Tuesday night game this year is hmm. at LSU. And by the way, the night of that game, I don't have the date in front of me. Caleb Rowe will be our guest. Just putting it out there. I've been texting <laughs> bro about it. It's on the docket. Okay. But good. that'll be a chance on national television against what we presume will be the best team in the country in Baton Rouge. That's a long way into the season. I think it's late April mm-hmm. and mid-April, late April. And what that team will be at that time, who knows? But I would recommend that they get to a place where they can have a chance to make that statement when OU comes to town in Baton Rouge. Because, you know, if you were able to play well that night, you can vault yourself into contender level with just one game. Because the rest of the schedule sets up for that to happen. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. But we'll see. We will. That's day three. Softball Media Day is another hefty, hefty, hefty list. Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, and LSU. When we come back, we'll wrap it up and get you ready for the final day on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. The sun is setting. The Great War is over. I think that's a forced Taylor Swift pun. I don't know. We're finishing up day three here on Softball Media Days. Jamie Traxel. I'm the problem. <laughs> Jamie Traxel, Tim Walton, Samantha Ricketts, Beth Tarina joining us. A forced reference. It's me. <laughs> That's how we do it. Forced <laughs> references. It's like the whole broadcast. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Tom, from Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, and LSU? Uh, I thought we got some really good stuff, especially from both uh, Coach Traxel and Coach Walton. I wasn't there for the Samantha Ricketts interview, so I was very happy to hear that one as well. So I thought we got some really good stuff. And uh, these are teams that, so day one, we had three teams that we think are going to be contenders to, to win the league. Day two had teams that were that can be pretty much anywhere when things are, are, are said and done. I think we kind of see a little bit of the same here. Um, it can be pretty much anywhere, uh, but I think we see at least one, if not a couple, contenders to win the league or the road to winning the league is going to go through them with these right. four. Yeah, these are four teams that have the talent. They have the pieces. They have, I mean, you heard all these coaches. They have a lot of reasons to be excited about this year. The question is, can they put them together? And if not, what does that look like? Right. I think is also the question. How low is the floor? I don't think it's super low for all these teams. I've also been taken aback by certain squads plummeting down the rankings in the SEC and in the standings in past years. So we'll see how it looks. Day four, one more day. It's Alabama, Memphis, Texas A&M, and, of course, the fall ball special. I had some people like, Memphis, this is SEC teams. Well, okay, 
This is the Vanderbilt. Do you think they, slot? Do you think they sounded like that when they I were typing? On, on? Definitely not. That was super <laughs> rude of me. That was super rude. I apologize. I am. It's asked. possible. It's Maybe. possible they sounded like that. We put Memphis in because we've got the Vanderbilt slot. And even when Texas and OU come, we'll keep the Vanderbilt slot. Yeah. We want to give. Until Vanderbilt fills their own slot. Dang right. Come on, Nashville. We I want a trip to Nashville. I don't really care if you have a softball team. Come on. I want to go to Nashville. Murph. At Lipscomb. Let's go. <laughs> we wanted to give a team a chance to slide in. It, it's going to rotate out probably each and every year. It could be Memphis again next year. Who knows? But we wanted to give our friend Stephanie Van Brakel Prothro a chance to promote her program. We know that she's got big ideas. We've heard them privately over <laughs> the last five, seven, eight years. Yeah. And we wanted to give her a chance to speak out publicly. And also to talk about her time at Alabama, which was so impactful for her in so many ways. Oh, yeah. And uh, we know the Alabama fans that are listening want, will be following uh, Coach uh, Van Brakel and, and the Memphis program from here on out. And uh, as we talk about with her, you know, there, there's going to be a big, huge surge in Memphis, uh, probably merch sold and and people that are, are interest in Memphis from down this way as uh, she builds that program up to uh, what we think we she, she can do. Yeah, absolutely. And what an interesting day this is in general. First of all, we got Patrick Murphy. Right. The Hall of Famer. Yes. It's it's our longest interview. It always is. So book an hour for that. <laughs> and we've got Steph, which is so much fun. We've got Trisha Ford, the new head coach in the SEC. What the an, only newbie. Yeah. What an interesting offseason it was for A&M. You know, Joe Evans departs. They hire Trisha Ford. Then Haley Lee leaves. You bring in a bunch of transfers. You've got a good recruiting class. AM is a completely up in the air team for me. Yeah. This upcoming year. In a lesser way, kind of so is Alabama. I mean, we know a good bit. The national audience probably doesn't. And that might create more questions about Alabama than normal coming into a year. So this is going to be an interesting fourth day. Plus the fall ball special. We finally give you all the stats from fall ball. We'll answer some of your mailbag questions. But people could have just watched it on TV. Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. Tom, <laughs> my God, get out. Get out. Security. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan just threw his laptop out of the door. <laughs> Uh, that's day four yeah it's coming up yes if you would like to see more updates you can of course follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod Tom? t canterbury rtr on the twitter this is not that bit's not gonna last wow at great g-r-a-y underscore robertson again like subscribe leave a review wherever you're listening to this and we do thank you so much for tuning in because we know that these episodes are long and you're probably breaking them up heck the season might be starting in a couple weeks and you're just you know, taking a listen back to hear what yeah. your coach said. No matter when you're listening or where you're listening, we do certainly appreciate you. Whether you're an Alabama fan or not, thank you for tuning in to either hear your coach or everybody else. Even if you're not an Alabama fan, stick around for all the other coaches. Yeah. I think you'll like it. Yeah, we like them. Yeah. We hope you will too. With that, day three of Softball Media Days is finished. We're almost done. The finale of this project will drop on Friday, December 9th. That'll be Alabama, Memphis, Texas A&M, plus our fall ball special stats mailbag way too early top fives i'm sure we'll do an off the wall opinions yeah uh, what could off go the wrong? ball who could be off the wall right now oh tom i bet i could find somebody <laughs> give me two minutes yeah yes the grand finale is coming up for my partner tom canterbury i'm gray robertson saying so long we'll see you next time on the out of the box podcast